you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie. And we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 116. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Preorder Raygun. Chris, today is the day. Today How is the day. How's life? Uh, pretty good. New York's uh, pretty, pretty fun. It's not, yeah. uh, it's not nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Well, in what respect? In uh, in respect of just like, you know, pandemic wise, like I, I thought, oh. you know, New York got hit really hard. So sure. I assumed I assumed that it would still kind of be uh, a little bit uh, tumultuous, but it seems like everybody's doing pretty good here. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I'm very glad to hear that from our home of New York. Well, it's good to be here with you today, Chris. Uh, as we said, today is the day we finally know what PlayStation 5 costs and when it's going to come out and all of that. But before we get into all of this, we're going to do things a little differently today, but do want to welcome everyone. This is Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. We go live each and every week and you can get it three days early and ad free every episode by supporting us like nearly 10,000 of you do at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. That gets you not only early ad free access to our show and to knock back my nostalgia and retro podcast as well, but access to Sacred Symbols Plus, which is only for patrons. That's our supplemental podcast we do each and every week. Last week, we did uh, an episode challenging Chris, just like we did before that, challenging me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, those po- those episodes were pretty popular. And actually, we have a couple of letters about those I wanted to read right off the top, if I might. Yeah. Nigel J wrote in and said, good day to you, fine gentlemen. Not a question. I just wanted to give you both a shout out regarding your recent Sacred Symbols Plus Challenge episodes. Colin, it's always a pleasure to hear you admit when you're wrong, but still extremely satisfying to hear you stand your ground with dry wit and sarcasm. Chris, it's great to hear you become more and more skilled and engaging as a host. You offer a well-rounded platform agnostic. There it is. Counterpoint to Colin, which works brilliantly. I love these episodes as they prove the point that we don't need to agree with someone to understand and respect their perspectives. 
a lesson we could all frankly do more with learning. Keep on keeping on. And thanks to the whole CLS team. Thank you, Nigel. Oh, that was nice. Isn't that nice? I feel like these episodes are important to do once in a while. That's why we did them back in February as well, so that we're not above reproach. And I got to say, Chris, it always kind of bothers me a little bit when people say, especially about me, but about, about our show, they don't say when they're wrong. They don't go into any of these things. I'm like, we we're kind of obsessive with going over the things we're wrong about. And we just dedicated Sacred Symbols Plus episodes for you guys to challenge us on things you think we're wrong about. A lot of these are opinions and some of these things were categorically not wrong about, but some of them, <laughs> I must say we are. And I, 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 I think I had a couple in my episode, Chris, where I was like, I don't even think I could possibly defend this. Yeah. So it was fun. It was yeah. A good I mean, when you when you talk for like for so long for a living, it's like you're bound to say something that's probably not entirely accurate. Yeah, definitely. So next week for Sacred Symbols Plus, I think we're going to finally start doing what we can do now, which is comparing PlayStation 5 with Xbox Series X. Yeah. So that will come together in the coming days. Look forward to that. Please look forward to it. And uh, Chris, I wanted to bring this other question up from Connor Bright. He said, hey, CNC, with the thumbnails for recent Sacred Symbols Plus episodes, seeing the shirtless versions of you both, I must say I'm rather perplexed for you. For you see, I am in loving relationship with a loving lady, yet I find myself inexplicably erect <laughs> at the sight of your glistening Adonis forms. No question. Just wanted to let you know you've caused a slight rumbling in the grundle. That's kind of I don't know what's going on in your grundle. That might be unrelated to us, Connor. But Chris, I put up these peculiar let's say thumbnails of both of us did the one i use of you actually make you mad because it seemed like you <laughs> might have been upset no no uh, yeah i just it's so old so yeah. like it always it's always really jarring to see that photo because like my hair is blonde it's such an old photograph that it, like every time it comes back i'm like reminded it, it's like um I, it's it's like having an aneurysm almost where you're just transported back in time and you're like is that is that me still yeah, I've had this complaint from some other people that I've done shows with, like on Fireside Chats, where they're like, why are you using this picture of me? So usually I try to ask people, but uh, I don't know. I just this I, I Googled your name <laughs> and that's what came up. And it was the most high res picture of you shirtless. And that's what I that's what I needed was just a high res shirtless picture. Of you. Oh, my God. So, but uh, yeah, so please do listen to those Sacred Symbols Plus episodes. They were fun to record and we'll be back together for the next episode. Like I said, PS5 versus XSX, as I have it written here in our notes. I don't really know if anyone's actually calling the Xbox Series X that, but I am. That's what I'm going to call it. Yeah, the XS. Now, Chris, I want to do things a little bit out of order here because people are listening, obviously, for well, a lot of people listen. Tens of thousands of you listen every week. Regardless, we can talk about literally nothing and for some reason you still talk uh listen to this episode or these shows but i want to do things a little bit differently because people do want to listen for the ps5 first and foremost so i'm going to actually skip the chicanery that we usually do and what we're playing we're going to come back to that after we get through all of the news from today's event so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the news from today's ps5 event then we're going to go back and do the what we're playing and all that then we're going to jump back into the news for all the other shit that happened that's not as important. Yeah. And then we will wrap the show up as we usually do with the drop and comments from the listenership. So let's just jump right into the big news here about PlayStation 5 and its price and release date. Number one in the news. PlayStation 5 has officially received both a price and a release date. Sony's long-awaited successor to 2013's PlayStation 4 will arrive on November 12th and it will cost $499.99 USD. The digital-only, diskless PS5 will cost $399.99 USD. 
The $499.99 price translates to €499.99, £449.99, and £49,980 yen. And the $399.99 price translates to €399.99, £359.99, and £39,980 yen. However, the November 12th release date is only for Sony's home country of Japan, as well as the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Mexico, and South Korea. Everywhere else, including European countries, the Middle East, Africa, South America, and Asia, will receive the console on November 19th. Chris, what do you say about that 499 slash 399 November 12th slash November 19th? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, exactly what I think it needs to be. I, I don't think it could have been anything else, really. I, I don't think it could have been more expensive than the Xbox Series X. I don't think that the digital edition could have possibly approached the Series S. And I don't. And I think it was probably pretty wise that um, I think it's pretty wise that they decided to go with the three ninety nine for the digital, even though I, th- I think they probably took a bit of a loss on that. I yeah, I was gonna say I think that. That price is probably at very best being sold at cost. We know that based on Bloomberg reporting, whether it's specious or not, we're going to talk about another Bloomberg report a little later that was specious, but uh, they were saying that price to manufacture, not price to bring the market, but price to manufacture is about $450. It was unclear if they were talking about one version or the other. My assumption is they're talking about the disc version. Yeah. Um, as I understand it from my own sources, they are making far more of the disc version than the discless version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's I, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how I understand it from people uh, in the know that I trust. So they might be selling pretty much breaking even on both consoles, which I think is appropriate because they want to get them proliferated and then make money on the software itself. So yeah. The interesting thing about this release date is that it's a release date no one predicted. I don't think anyone predicted this release date, primarily because it's a Thursday, which is weird. And it's a Thursday for both of them. The 12th and the 19th are both Thursdays. Now, my theory on this is that the 13th is a Friday, and I don't know if they wanted to be a little bit superstitious by not releasing their console that day. It's entirely possible. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if Sony would be a company that would do this. Here's why I say that. There was a lot of speculation as longtime PlayStation fans know that there was no way they were going to name PS4 PS4. And the reason is because four, as I understand Japanese, is she, which is the same word I think is death. And is considered an unlucky number in Japanese society, similar to 13 in Western society or in lots of Western societies. But they still renamed it PS4 and it didn't matter to them at all. So I don't know. It's just speculative that they're avoiding that date. But it is weird that they're releasing the console on a Thursday. A lot of people were wondering 6, 13, 20, but they're doing the 12th and the 19th. How do you feel about kind of splitting it up between their home country and then North America, basically, and South Korea, which I think is pretty interesting, yeah. as well as Oceania with Australia and New Zealand, and then allowing it to enter Europe, which is arguably their most vast and uncontested territory as well as the Middle East and other places. How do you feel about them kind of going separately in these two or in these multiple locations? Yeah, I, I think it's a little weird. I, I think it's a little bit in a, inelegant. Uh, I, I assume it's probably just because there's probably there's probably all sorts of complications going on with like shipping and getting parts out to different retailers and whatever the hell. I don't think it was necessarily the plan to go on the 12th and the 19th. I don't think that was always the plan necessarily. But I do think 
that the date of the 12th is probably the best day they could have gone also like I, we were we were speculating a little bit on one of the previous episodes that we were talking about like well they're definitely not going to go before xbox because it's just it's too early and they couldn't wait till the 19th to release it everywhere because that's far too late so i think the 12th is probably like a nice sweet spot it is really weird that it's on a thursday but i don't think it's all that weird i, th- I think people are just happy to have it and uh you know, people come out on a Thursday for this thing. Yeah, they'll come out on any day. Yeah, uh, I, I'm pretty convinced that they would have come out at almost any price. This pricing is what I now I'm not going to make this a Colin was right moment. I think it was pretty obvious that thing, this thing was going to be 500 bucks. Yeah. And I've been saying that ad nauseum. I don't. I think long time and dedicated listeners of the show know that I never vacillated on that price. And uh, I thought that 399 was going to be the price for the discless one. I was right about that as well. But a lot of people were guessing these. Uh, so yeah, four ninety nine ninety nine, three ninety nine ninety nine. I want one of each now. I did pre order one already from Walmart. dot com, and I got an order received email. I have not got a confirmation email, and Walmart is pretty notorious about canceling pre orders. But I just logged into my bank account, and I was charged for the console. So hopefully everything works out well here, and I at least got one. I want to get a couple more because I want one more for my bedroom and then I want to get one for my nephew. So we'll see if I'm able to make that happen at various retailers. But nonetheless, um, by the time you hear this, pre-orders are probably going to be live in your location and uh, our European listeners and our Middle Eastern listeners and African listeners, et cetera, will just have to wait another week after we get it out here in the West. But pretty exciting uh, time. Yeah. And I wanted to say that really quick, Chris, too. We get negative about some things. We're going to get negative, certainly, about some things in this show. But this is an exciting moment. I mean, this is the beginning of the uh, this is the dawn of the beginning, let's say, of the next console generation. Are you feeling it now? Now we know everything. Now we know everything about the competitors, the contenders. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot easier to get excited now, now that we know that there's like a concrete day when we'll actually have these things in our hands. Because even even up until like yesterday or even up until before they announced this showcase, it, it it did just sort of feel like this system was entirely hypothetical. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but it just it, it really felt for a while that this this that this machine was just a nebulous kind of idea. So especially just because it's been so uncharacteristically long that we've gone without a release date in comparison to previous generations. So uh, it's nice to finally have it. It's nice to be this close to it. And it's it is exciting. I'm, I am feeling it. I don't know if I'm necessarily as excited as I am stressed out about getting my hands on one of these things, but it definitely feels like the the kind of the beginning of the end of this uh, PS4 life cycle. And it feels kind of it feels kind of neat. It is stressful. There, there's really no doubt about it. It's incredibly stressful when a new console is coming out and you just don't know if you're going to get the pre order it and. So I get it Um, because I remember pre-ordering the PS4. The PS4 was the first system that I think. Let me think here. I'm pretty sure the PS4 is the first system I pre-ordered. Or I'm sorry, the PS3 was the first system I pre-ordered since PS2. And I pre-ordered the PS3 Slim. So I didn't even get the original one. Yeah. And then PS4 I pre-ordered and I got it at, at launch. But I remember the days when you didn't really I remember walking in and getting, I think, like a GameCube the day came out without pre-ordering it and stuff. So times are just totally, totally different. And there's a lot of demand, a lot of pent up demand. I hope they can meet it. It's a little frustrating that they seem to be unable to do that. 
All right, Chris, let's move on here. James Over has a question for us or a comment. He says, Colin, I know you always predicted a price hike for the next gen of gaming, but I'm worried about how it translates across markets. And yes, I know about your odd tax system and how it works in the U.S. Uh, and it still fares better. Yeah, because you guys have that, which is you know value added tax, which is pretty substantial over there in Britain. There's a real risk of games hitting 70 pounds here, which would be an absurd jump from the 50 pound retail they are. Even 60 pounds would be a push, to be honest, for the quality of some AAA games nowadays. I feel for more Central Europe, too, with a 79.99 euro price tag. You can talk about inflation till the cows come home. But for younger people under 30 here, the average salary is less than 30,000 pounds with the numbers being boosted by the oldies. And gaming is still mainly a younger hobby. So I'm basically saying it's becoming fucking expensive to game. And Xbox is seriously going to push the PS5 on value with Games Pass. You'll probably disagree, but with such a varying scale of quality across AAA gaming, you must see concern of a price hike. Now, we're going to talk about the game prices in a little while because we have confirmation that Sony is going to charge $70 for at least Demon Souls. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But how are you feeling, Chris, about the appropriateness of the pricing, uh, the affordability, not only at this moment in our society, not only in this moment economically, but just generally speaking, because I just continue to feel that this is a really appropriate price point for the console and for the games. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think it is an appropriate price point. I, I do think that as this kind of medium gets more expensive, though, I feel like it, it could be a little bit more alienating. But I, I do think that the market um, in some ways has kind of accounted for this with things like Game Pass and with uh, some new things that they've actually announced in the showcase that we'll touch on later, I think. I feel like getting your hands on really quality titles is a lot more accessible nowadays, despite the fact that there will be a price hike, if that makes sense. Sure. So in a weird way, I feel like it does kind of even out in some way. Yeah, I, I, I just I'm not sympathetic to the pricing argument. I'm just not. I know that it's not going to be affordable to everyone, but you have to understand that gaming's become more accessible over time as far as its pricing is concerned. All you need to do is look up the circulars from the 80s and 90s at Toys R Us or whatever and see how much games used to cost. We've we've gone over this and nailed this a bunch of times and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just I remain unsympathetic even at this time of trying economic situations and circumstances for people because those translate to companies. So they're not going to make their products cheaper because they can't afford to do that either at this time. So I don't know. I just think that four hundred and ninety nine ninety nine or really it's really four hundred dollars for a PS5 because the unlike the Xbox Series X and Series S, these consoles are identical to each other. One just doesn't have a disk drive. So you can get in on the PS5 experience for the same exact real dollar price that you can buy the PS4 for when it came out yeah. seven years ago. So I don't I don't understand the complaints at all. I just I, I James, I hear you in some way. I mean, I hear you, but I don't agree with you at all. I don't agree that. And I don't understand why you think that game prices are going to go from 50 pounds to 70 pounds. That's an extraordinarily high jump. And I, I don't think that that's going to be the case, but maybe it will be. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. All right, Chris, the other big thing that was in that, well, there's a few big things, but the other really big surprise for me anyway was number two, Final Fantasy 16 was revealed running on PC while specking the PlayStation 5. The game was shown for several minutes running in real time and cutting between story scenes and combat that appeared most reminiscent of both Final Fantasy 15 and Final Fantasy 7 Remake. We don't know much about it outside of what was shown in the trailer, but it does appear to be returning more towards swords and shields roots, fusing some technology with lots of magic, huge monsters and some serious mainstay uh, series mainstays, too. I'm sorry, like Chocobos. The game is being directed by Hiroshi Takai, a longtime Squaresoft and Square Enix artist. 
who most notably worked on Final Fantasy V, as well as Final Fantasy XI and Final Fantasy XIV, though he mostly dwelled in Square Enix's somewhat popular Saga series, which we knew better as Final Fantasy Legend on the Game Boy in the late 80s and early 90s, of course, Saga Frontier in 1997, etc. on PS1. He ultimately went on to direct the 2008 Xbox 360 game The Last Remnant, which first came to PlayStation in 2018 on PlayStation 4. The game's producer is Naoki Yoshida, the lead designer of Final Fantasy XIV's revival update A Realm Reborn, which came out in 2013 and also acted as director and producer of A Realm Reborn and 2017's massive Stormblood update. He also had his hands on the popular Dragon Quest Builders series. Final Fantasy began on Famicom in 1987. We didn't get the game on NES until 1990. The series has since spun off into 15 mainline entries, a handful of direct sequels to some of those entries, and dozens of spinoffs. The last mainline Final Fantasy game was Final Fantasy XV, which launched in 2016 after a tortured decade-long development cycle. Square Enix notes that there will be no more information about this game until 2021, so don't expect it to come out before 2022. David Thomas, son of Wendy's founder Dave Thomas, wrote in and said, Colin, <laughs> what did you think about Final Fantasy XVI? I'm very excited that they are returning to a more medieval setting. It's really exciting. I mean, when I saw the footage for the first few seconds and I saw someone writing a chocobo, I tweeted out, is this Final Fantasy 16? And in my mind, I just didn't feel like this was possible, even though it was rumored, because it just feels like Final Fantasy 16 just came out or 15 just came out. But it's not true. Final Fantasy 15 came out four years ago. So it's about time that they would start talking about another Final Fantasy game. In fact, in the old days, we've already had like three of them yeah. uh, in this time period. So I think the game looks great. I love the return, it seems like, to the spirit of Final Fantasy, which we've not really had since 12, I think, at the most recent. Maybe you can even argue that we haven't had that feeling since nine, depending on who you are. So it could have been 20 years, depending on your perspective on this. I think it looks awesome. I think it sounds awesome. I'm super excited about it. I want to see more. It seems very inspired by the more hack and slash actiony Final Fantasy 15 and seven remake having Basically, the director and producer of Final Fantasy 14 leading this up, I think, is really exciting, too. I think it brings a whole new feeling to this. Katasi and Nomura are nowhere to be found. No offense, but thank Christ. So this is a whole new this is a whole new leadership team involved in this game. I think that that is the most exciting part of all. I wonder, uh, Chris, is more of an outsider to this series and to JRPGs, if you have any excitement or any thoughts on seeing this game today. Yeah, no, I, I, it looked uh, it looks pretty good to me. Um, it, it is still a Final Fantasy game, which is, is is not necessarily up my wheelhouse, but I I do I understand what it's like to see a series kind of go off in a different direction, and I understand what it's like to see that series sort of kind of come back to uh, to a, a more storied um, style or a more storied setting uh, that you've been kind of missing for a while. So I, I think it's I think it's cool in that way, but personally. You know, I, I don't know. Final Fantasy has just never really been my seven is like one of the one of the few things that really jumped out at me. And it's really in large part to do just because the setting is so weird and the, and the soundtrack is so objectively incredible that it kind of carries the rest of it for me. But to me, it looked like, oh, yeah, cool. They're making a new uh, next gen Final Fantasy. That's cool. What's interesting about this is that it's a PlayStation 5 console exclusive. So this is a massive get. For yeah. Sony and and does feed some of the speculation that we've been hearing that Sony has been spending serious money on third party console exclusives. So not something that they really have done a great deal since the PS3 era early on. We talk about games like Haze and Layer and all of that folklore, um, Heavenly Sword. We got a lot of those games back in the day. This one is obviously much more high profile, 
from a much bigger partner. And I think makes a lot of sense for them. And I got to say, when I first saw. It's funny how things kind of turn on their heads, let's say, because when I first saw that, it was like this is running on a P a PC. And I, I wrote it here in the notes, emulating the PS5 experience in quotes. I was like, oh, God, you're how are you going to start like this? And then it just ended up being that they were like, well, we're coming out with a big ass swing and dick. It doesn't really matter what it's running on. You're going to be excited about it. And by the way, we'll just clarify after this Final Fantasy 16 trailer that everything else you see is running on PS5. So I thought that that was a pretty big dick move, a uh, big dick energy move on uh, Sony's part, which I thought was pretty interesting. <laughs> were you uh, were you disappointed or, or a little not disappointed, but were you a little shocked to kind of see them open with something that wasn't running on the console only to be shaken out of your complacency once you realized what it was? No, I, I, I didn't actually think much of it. I, I feel like that's kind of par for the course. I, I did at, at initially I, I was a little confused because, you know, this machine is is just a couple weeks away at this point. Why are you showing a game? <laughs> that's not running on the machine that we're all excited to see that's going to be in our hands for in a couple weeks. But, um, you know, the fact that it's a 2022 game that they're just sort of kind of showing early in development, it, it makes total sense that it would be running on a PC because that's just how they spec early builds. It, you know, there's 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 really no functional reason to test a to run or to show a game running on PS5 if it's going to come out two years later, you know? Yeah, it, I'm really interested to see when this game will actually be ready. Yeah, it would be cool to it would be the other thing I got to say, Chris, is that it's and we're going to talk about this a little later as well, because this is happening with some other games, which I predicted a while ago. Uh, I wonder if this game will be on PlayStation 4 as well. So we will find out because Final Fantasy is just such a big property coming out so early, it seems like, or maybe maybe early in a, in a console generation. I don't know if you want to alienate. Uh, potential audiences, although they can play it on PC, I assume as well. Yeah. So I, I think two years is is a decent is a decent amount of time. You know, I mean, I hope it's only on PS5. That would be really nice. Yeah. But now we're all confused. I mean, we're going to find out. I, I don't want to talk about it quite yet, but we're going to find out where that confusion stems from. And I don't think that we're going to see the end of that confusion anytime soon. But nonetheless, Final Fantasy 16 is real. It is announced. It is coming to PlayStation 5 as a console exclusive. So go watch the trailer. It's very exciting. Number three, this is the way it ended. And by the way, I put this news in the order that I think that things are important. So this is all obviously very subjective. So it's not the order in which these things were presented necessarily. Number three, at the very end of the presentation, even after the console was dated and priced, Sony had a one more thing surprise waiting, a brief and vague trailer for the next God of War game out of Sony Santa Monica. And it's unclear quite what the game is called. It's either called God of War Ragnarok, God of War 2 Ragnarok, or perhaps something else entirely. But the brief tease shows a bunch of Norse runes indicating that the setting and continuity will be the same as 2018's God of War Revival. And shockingly, it's going to be ready pretty soon. Sony has dated the game for 2021. While God of War premiered back in 2005 on PlayStation 2, its current incarnation also out of Sony Santa Monica is a reimagining of the original formula. And 2018's God of War is widely considered one of PS4's strongest exclusives. Uh, what did you make of this tease? This is obviously going to happen. This was obviously going to be a game that was going to come. I feel like this was totally unnecessary, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I don't know what I don't really know what the point of it was. I feel like there's enough, enough excitement about this console and the games we already know about. Show us God of War when you can show us Kratos and show us boy and and show us some, <laughs> some and show us some footage. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree. like I love God of War. God of War, I think, is 
if not my favorite uh, PS4 exclusive, it's 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 my second favorite. I, I think this is a, behind Days Gone. <laughs> yeah, behind Days Gone. <laughs> no, I, I think um, I, I agree with you. I, I think the fact that they showed like a very underwhelming kind of like logo just to show, hey, you know, it's being made. It's like, yeah, we, we knew it was being made. And it's it's funny, like the next the, 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 the listener who wrote in about this, this is exactly what I was telling to people in my in my group chat that it would be like this game's a 2022 game for sure. Like it's getting it's getting pushed out like. You can't convince me that this game will be ready for 2021 if you have if you have nothing to show, like not even like a an in-engine render of something. Darnell Thompson, uh, one of our listeners, wrote in about that and said, so God of War is absolutely getting pushed out of 2021, right? Yeah, I would assume so. What's the point of even dating it? This is I mean, this goes back to the point of not even showing it at all. I mean, maybe we're wrong and they'll get it out, but it just seems really quick. God of War was a spring 2018 game. This is going to be on new hardware, so it's not like they can just seamlessly bring it over unless it's a cross-gen game, which is, I don't know. I mean, I think it's entirely possible based on what we're going to talk about in a little while. It does seem quick, though. It yeah. seems very quick indeed. John Devine wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, did you two accidentally will God of War Ragnarok into existence by consistently calling Assassin's Creed Valhalla Assassin's Creed Ragnarok? I think so. What other games can you will into existence by misnaming them? <laughs> when I saw this, I, I first was like, I'm in a lot of trouble because I'm not going to be able to keep this all straight. <laughs> I just don't I don't know why I get the words Valhalla and Ragnarok mixed up. But I do. I just get those two. Those two things just bounce around in the in the primitive Norse part of my brain. I just can't I can't keep them straight. So we might have we might have accidentally brought this game into existence. I don't know for sure. Yeah, one way yeah or the other. It's, it's possible. Although in fairness, you know, Ragnarok was was like kind of the thing that was assumed to happen after this, after God of War, I, I feel like every all, all the signs were pointing to Ragnarok happening in the second game, which which is like the like the Norse like end of days type deal. It's right. like Judgment Day for Norse shit. So it's like, oh yeah, it, it'd be cool. Like, and it would make sense, especially because of the the Thor tease at the end of uh, at the end of God of War twenty eighteen. If you haven't played it, sorry, spo- sorry for the spoilers, but I mean, come on, you you've you've had I feel like you've, you've had, had your moment. opportunity. You've had your moment. But there's also that Thor movie called Thor Ragnarok. So it's like, you know, it's a common thing now. Yeah. Plus, as I said in previous episodes this year, I watched both Vikings and The Last Kingdom, which are all about this shit. And so it's just I don't know. I'm just being bombarded with uh, Norse mythology and all those kinds of things. But I'm excited about the game. I'm interested to see what it's going to specifically be called. I I assume it'll be called God of War. Ragnarok, not God of War 2. Ragnarok. Yeah. It seems like they're getting away from numbered conventions. We see that with Horizon as well. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like that's we'll, happening we'll... in general. You know, have you noticed that? You, I feel like there's just like a lack of numbers. Yeah, I guess. Well, you see that when I mean, we were talking about Assassin's Creed, they've gotten away. They got away from that a long time ago. Call of Duty is even getting away with that now a little bit with Black Ops Cold War, which is really Black Ops 5, right? Yeah, basically. So. Yeah, I don't mind it. I think it's smart marketing, too, in, in one way, because it, it doesn't make you feel like you're missing something by playing it alone. On the other hand, it's not great for the legacy purchases of these games by trying to tie them together. But nonetheless, I, I don't think it really matters. We're not going to see this game, I think, for a little while, anything about it. But it's cool to know what we already knew, which is that they're working on more God of War. Would be They'd be insane not to. Number four, Sony showed more footage of Demon Souls remake though they continue to refer to it only as Demon Souls, which I think is pretty interesting. With first party team Japan Studio getting higher billing on the splash screen than the team that's actually making the game. Second party Studio Bluepoint. I thought that was weird, too. 
Though Sony didn't say so in the trailer or during the stream, it's been confirmed that Demon's Souls remake is a PS5 launch game and will be available alongside the console on November 12th. Sony has likewise confirmed that this game will cost 70 bucks in the United States. Does this game do anything for you? I know it wasn't really scratching that itch for you the first time we saw it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm just kind of bad at these games in general, so I, I don't really get excited. But I what I saw looked very. I don't know about you, but did it look weirdly more approachable than like a standard kind of Dark Souls game? It did, but I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that the the HUD was just gone. Yeah, maybe. The, yeah, that, that could be it. I, I don't know what about, what it was about it specifically. It might be the lack of a HUD. It might be just like the fidelity of what we saw because it is an impressive looking game. The animations look great. The the landscapes look look great. The lighting. I think there's a lot of ray tracing going on. It's a really nice looking game. So I'm a little bit more on board with it just from a just from a sheer visual presentation standpoint where it's like I might be terrible at this freaking thing. But I feel like it's going to look really good. So I think I, th- I think I might be I think I might jump into this. I think it's a nice idea. I mean, I think it looks awesome, too. I was kind of on the fence on if I was going to play this or not, depending on when it came out. Now that we know it's going to come out at launch alongside Miles Morales, we have two pretty major first party games to or uh, exclusives. Anyway, one of them is second party, but that will have these games to play. And I, I got to agree with you. And I, I've always felt this way about not so much Demon Souls, but definitely Dark Souls and certainly Bloodborne, which I got much more into is the aesthetic was never really the problem. I find the aesthetic really attractive. I like Dungeons and Dragons type shit and high fantasy and all that. And and this game has that in spades. And also it doesn't have so much Bloodborne's gothic look, which I think was like really, really staggering. I, I thought it was beautiful. It looked like a Castlevania game to me, which was making it really exciting, especially as I was playing sort of a meta game in my head that I was playing Castlevania. <laughs> so if it is more accessible, I think that will be nice. I don't know that it would turn too many people off. I know that a lot of purists of Souls games would probably not be excited about that. But Demon's Souls is kind of the forgotten game in that franchise anyway. I don't know how many people have really played it compared to Dark Souls and Bloodborne, which are much more accessible. I mean, Dark Souls is available on everything. You have to go back and and play Demon Souls on PS3. The other thing that I thought was interesting about Demon Souls, as I said earlier, was the splash screen. This reminded me a lot of the Order 1886, actually, in the way that that was rolled out. And I'm kind of keeping a close eye on this because people will remember that there was a lot of confusion with the Order about if Sony Santa Monica was developing it themselves because they got first billing on the splash screen when the game was revealed at E3. And Ready at Dawn was upset about that. So that was changed because Sony Santa Monica was acting as producer. Japan Studio is acting as producer of this game, too, just like they did with the original Demon Souls. Remember, of course, that Demon Souls was published by Sony in Japan and was published by Atlas in the West because Sony declined to port it um, or to uh, localize it because they didn't think anyone would care about it. So that was a huge mistake. That's where Bloodborne came from. That's the spawning of Dark Souls and all of that. But I found Blood, uh, Blue Point getting second billing a little weird, and I wonder if that's going to stick or not, because that's a little bit offensive uh, to the team that makes it. I don't know that it really matters to some of them, but I knew it, I know it matters to the or mattered to the dudes at Ready at Dawn. And so that stood out to me a little bit, too. It's just kind of an incidental industry thing. But Demon Souls being available at launch is exciting. Seventy dollars seems reasonable. All right. Next up, Chris, is another long rumored game that they revealed a third party game. Number five, the long rumored, somewhat leaked Harry Potter RPG has finally been revealed. It's called Hogwarts Legacy, and it's an open world third person RPG that takes place in and around Hogwarts Academy in the late 19th century. 
long before the events of the popular novel series and films. As predicted, the game is being developed by WB Interactive-owned studio Avalanche, based in Utah, not to be confused with the largely Swedish trio of teams under the Avalanche Studios umbrella. Avalanche is owned by WBI now, but was actually owned by Disney beforehand, and so the team has a lot of experience with licensed games, though none of them are particularly particularly remarkable. Outside of its licensed games and its tax series on PS2, GameCube, and Xbox, which people might remember, which predates its Disney days, Avalanche is best known for the Toys to Life series Disney Infinity, which launched in 2013 and which was followed up by two sequels in 2015 and 2017. This game is due out on PlayStation 5 in 2021. Now that we know Avalanche is making this, WBI's acquisition of the studio when Disney jettisoned them makes a lot more sense. Uh, These guys are in Utah, as I said, so they're in America. They deal pretty much exclusively with licensed games. And I'm not a Harry Potter fan per se. I think it always looks really appealing. I like the idea of this wizard school, and I think it's really cool. I think this game looks fucking cool as hell. I'm really excited to play this game. I think it sounds fun. I love how they show you Hogwarts and showed you the building and the castle or whatever the, that they all live in. But then they show you the terrain around it. They show you that you're going to be leaving and doing exciting and different things around around uh, Hogwarts Academy as well. So I think this game looks really cool. I think I'm really excited about it. I want to see if Avalanche is up to the task. I think that they might be. It's also a really good sign about why WB was and or AT&T really took WB Interactive off the market because that's now three major reveals from their studios in the last few weeks. When you combine it with uh, Arkham, what is it? Arkham Knights? No, that's not right. Why well, can't even remember Arkham Gotham Knights? Gotham Knights, yeah. Gotham Knights, right? And then the Justice League game. So, what do you make of this Harry Potter game? Are, are you looking forward to it? Uh, I I would be interested in giving it a shot, but I, I'm kind of with you where it's like Harry Potter was always something that, especially as of late, like I don't know, I I feel like it's a bit late to the party for me. Like, I was into Harry Potter, I think, like, during the first three movies when I was, like, a kid. But it, it I don't know. It, it, um, I don't know if I'm feeling this necessarily. It looks kind of gorgeous. There, there are definitely certain animations in there that I was like, oh, that's a fucking, that's a trippy, it's a trippy thing to see. So, I, I feel like it's, I'm getting Avengers vibes. Mm. Not necessarily by anything I saw, but just kind of, you know, the lateness of the property's relevance and, you know, the the lack of what we know about it so far other than just kind of how it looks i I think i'm gonna wait before i start to feel anything about this sure that makes sense i i feel i see things every once in a while so i read the first three harry potter harry potter books when i was much younger uh prisoner of azkaban i think was the last one i read that's the third one if i recall and so i saw the movies up to that point and then i stopped I just stopped. I don't know why. I think I was going off to college or I was in college at the time and I was just distracted and moved on to other things. But it's always been a world I've been really intrigued by. I think J.K. Rowling has made something really fascinating. I am really intrigued by the response to this game in leftist gaming circles because of J.K. Rowling's just completely public falling from grace over the transgender issue with a lot of people in those circles. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just throwing this out here. Now you have definitely, you will definitely, definitely, definitely see think pieces on Kotaku and Polygon and Waypoint and all these places about if you should buy this game, if you should, if you should support it because JK Rowling is notoriously hands-on with everything that bears the Harry Potter name. So she is no doubt hands-on with this game and uh, she still owns the brand and all of that. So do you think that there's going to be some sort of controversy around this game because of that? Because 
J.K. Rowling is uh, it's like a dirty word the last month or so. Oh, yeah. No, without a doubt. I f- even though I is she involved in the game at all? Well, like I said, she's she seems to have as I understand it, she seems to be involved in everything in some way. Like at least the lore and stuff runs through her. She's supposed to be pretty hands on. I don't know if it'll translate to really anything that's really major or uh, of any real consequence. I don't think it's going to be like a crazy like blowout uh, scandal. But I, I but I do think you're going to see like, you know, the occasional think piece or the occasional, you know, Twitter thread about why why it's a bad thing. But I, I don't anticipate it to be too much because I, I think people despite their distaste for J.K. Rowling still have an affinity for Harry Potter. It's actually one of the rare instances I've seen of, of like everybody kind of unanimously being like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, fuck this person. But uh, this is still good. You know, I'm just looking right now at. A few of these websites just to see in their announced stories, you know, yeah, if they had anything to say. So polygons didn't surprisingly, but Kotaku, Mike Fahey, second paragraph. Explore magical locations, encounter magical enemies, yikes, learn magical spells and magically attempt to overcome the dirty feeling of playing a game associated with noted transphobe J.K. Rowling. Developed by WP Studio Avalanche Software, some members of which may have recently voiced their displeasure with the Harry Potter author. Hogwarts Legacy sees young, fresh wizards becoming older, more seasoned wizards. Told you. Yeah. Told you. Yeah, it, it is. It is really easily predictable. In fairness. I'm actually surprised that it's not Polygon. Yeah, me too. Although although there is still time. I'm on Waypoint now. Do they write about... Do they even write news really there? Probably not. Uh, so, I gotta say, I called that without reading that Kotaku story. You just had to have known it. Let's go, to, let's go somewhere else and see. Let's go somewhere <laughs> more. Let's go to IGN. Uh, Harry Potter. This is a video. I don't fucking want to watch videos. Stop trying to make me watch goddamn videos. Harry Potter, here it is. Uh, nothing in IGN story. Let's go to GameSpot, which I never go to. Mostly because the Too Much Water girl works there now and she's mean. All Wait, right, let's what? see here. You know the Too Much Water oh, uh, Pokemon right, 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 girl? Right, right, right. I, made, I made a joke about that once and she like very dramatically came at me on, on Twitter about it. And then people were like, uh, dude, the joke is in a Pokemon game. That's how much of a joke it is. Like, just just relax. Stop going after people for political reasons. That is pretty wild. I'm not. Yeah, she's fucking annoying. But let's see. Yep. Okay. GameSpot. This is one, two, three, four, five. In other this five paragraphs down in other Harry Potter news, author and series creator J.K. Rowling was under fire recently for controversial tweets she penned in relation to gender and transsexuality and railing against hormone treatments by calling them the new antidepressants. Actor and Harry Potter himself, Daniel Radcliffe, responded to Rowling's comments with an open letter, open letter asserting that all transgender women are women. Why is this in the story for the Harry Potter role playing game? <laughs> the fuck is going on? Yeah, I don't know. My at, God. At, at the very least, it, it does seem to just sort of say what's ha- what what happened, you know, as opposed to the Kotaku one. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, it, I get a different vibe from from both of those. At the very least, even though, you know, the intention is probably ultimately the same as to just highlight. What are there other other video game websites? I don't even know. Let's see. Games beat. <laughs> I'm curious. I want to do I'm doing this in real time now. Let's see. 
nothing on games beat or venture beat what other games radar do people still read that gamesradar.com chris i'm gonna find another example let's see you gotta give it time man there will always be time i know i need think piece i found two in real time that's pretty incredible i'm pretty proud of myself for that although i didn't really do anything i just typed things into the url bar so the angie's list you know and trust is now angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish so remember angie's list is now angie and we're here to get your job done right Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now. All you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, Chris, let's see here. Number six. Now, this is where things are going to get a little off the rails. I have to say, things are going to get a little off the rails starting with number six. Sony showed off extensive gameplay footage of Spider-Man Miles Morales, the not a sequel spinoff of Insomniac's hit PS4 exclusive game Spider-Man. Miles Morales is a PS5 launch game and will come out on November 12th. We already knew that. However, Sony revealed what I had predicted back in June. Miles Morales will also launch on PS4 at the same time. In fact, Sony revealed that three PS5 games including another first-party AAA exclusive, will be available on PS4 too. The Little Big Planet spin-off launch game Sackboy, a big adventure developed by Sumo Digital, and much more substantially, Horizon Forbidden West, the sequel to 2017's Horizon Zero Dawn from Guerrilla Games, long assumed since revealed to only be on PS5. Kendrick Lukenbach wrote into us and said, Hey, Colin and Chris, Insomniac has confirmed in a PS blog post that Spider-Man Miles Morales will also launch on PS4. It seemed like this was a big console launch exclusive for PS5. Good move by Insomniac not to leave PS4 players behind, question mark. If anything, it makes more clear why Demon Souls must be a launch game, because otherwise they would not have anything from the first party or from their second parties that are, that are AAA exclusives on the console. So that makes a lot more sense why Demon Souls is coming out. So let's separate this into two different things, Chris, or three different things. Uh -huh. First of all, what do you think about the way Miles Morales looks? I think the game looks great. Yeah, no, it looks, uh, it looks solid. It looks like more Spider-Man, which is pretty much all it needs to be. I didn't think poorly of anything I saw. It looked exactly like, yes, I want this. I feel weird that we're getting it so soon, if that makes sense. I understand that it is one of these half-step kind of things, and I understand that, you know, probably the cross-generational nature of it is is probably the thing that, the, that determined that. 
but it it does feel a bit soon for this. Maybe that's just me, though. I don't know. Yeah, I just I'm excited to go back into this world. I'm excited to be back there. Yeah. And to experience more of it. I'm, I'm a little surprised that you're not more up on it. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I, I honestly think the fact that I learned that it was coming out on PS4 kind of took a little bit of the excitement out. Uh, if I'm being real, just something that's something that's not truly like a, like a, like a bona fide, like actual next gen game is just inherently a little bit less exciting than things that, that are. Uh, so I'm still definitely like excited to play it. I'm all about it. It looked fun. The characters looked cool. Miles looks great. The f- everything about it looks exactly like what I would would have expected. You know what I mean? It's it's nothing about it blew my mind because it's exactly what I thought it would be. And the only thing that really surprised me was the fact that it wasn't what I thought it was actually, in the sense that it it's not a a PS five like pure exclusive, right? Like a showcase. Yeah. So it kind of like I don't know that that kind of took a little bit of the thunder out of it. Not like not to the point where it's like bad by any means. I'm still really pumped about it it's just uh i feel like they were a bit cagey about this on purpose well i said this back so i'm looking at the tweet now june 12th i tweeted out i'm thinking ratchet and clank rift apart and spider-man miles morales are both coming to ps4 now it seems like rift apart is not technically possible on ps4 yeah uh i don't know that they would make that work and that's come that's become clear since but the reason i thought this is that during the ps5 reveal event in june only the Insomniac trailers said captured on PS5 at the end of the <laughs> yeah, Remember we were right. talking about this? All the other ones didn't say anything except for the Insomniac games. Yeah, but do but do you but do you remember though like like shortly after you said that, I don't know if it was like the day after or like the night of, there were like people I think from Insomniac clarifying that that wasn't the case. Yeah, I thought so too. I remember so, that. Maybe maybe I'm just like going insane, but I I remember that I have that distinct memory of them saying, yeah, that's not the case. I think they might have been saying that maybe exclusively about Ratchet. They have a little bit more plausible deniability of the way that game runs. It was like a blanket denial. And I have to say that I thought it would have been a little unusual to make Miles Morales only on PS5 because Spider-Man sold so well on PS4 and you're going to be alienating yourself during a holiday season when when your console on the market now doesn't really have anything on it. We've seen the last major exclusive so what's funny chris is that we were talking for a long time about ghost of tsushima being the swan song but in fact uh miles morales might be the swan song from the first party on the console if you want to look at it technically which is a little weird i'm still looking forward to it i did see someone saying that and i don't know if this is true or not that it might have separate platinum lists so that would be pretty fun if you're looking forward to playing it twice and getting the platinum trophy but nonetheless i think that this makes some serious problems and I think the bigger and more surprising one is them coming right out and saying, oh, by the way, uh, Forbidden West is a PS4 game. Yeah. So so actually Forbidden West comes out in 2021. So maybe that's the swan song of the PlayStation 4. I'm a little bit more disappointed in that, though. What do you think of that news? Yeah. They buried that, by the way, on PlayStation blog. They don't they didn't say that anywhere. So yeah. They, they totally buried it. No, I, I I'm with you in, in that regard. I, I think it's it's not necessarily that a game can't run a, a great game can't exist on both PS4 and PS5 at the same time it's not even the case that something being exclusive to PS5 and alienating PS4 inherently makes it uh, a more impressive thing but just what you're able to do with AI uh, what you're able to do with loading times as I'm pretty sure we've seen with like Ratchet Rift Apart and uh, I think games like The Medium 
uh, is another thing that's like doing these like simultaneous world loading and uh, just kind of seamless transitions between the loading sequences. I, I think the knowledge that Horizon Forbidden West won't be taking full advantage of that technology because it can't is a little disappointing considering it's not even close to a launch window game. And I, th I think that's kind of the thing where it's like it, with launch window games, I think it's fine. I think there's like some expectation that uh, there's going to be some cross-generational support. I think we've, we've had that in the, with the 360 generation and like PS3 to PS2. We had like, you know, Spider-Man 3 came out on PS2 and PS3 at the same time. There were different games, but you know, it, it feels a little weird to just announce that we know nothing about that game by the way <laughs> so it's it's strange to have that in that bit of important information before we even see what the hell the thing is in any real capacity yeah forbidden west is is an interesting one too because i i tell you guys like the game did start as a ps4 game mm -hmm. the development of the game started on ps4 and worked its way to PS5. So it, it does make a lot of sense for Decima to kind of span both consoles. And it could be a test bed for Decima running cross cross generationally or whatever. It could be something to do with the engine. I don't really know. But uh, it's just it makes me a little scared about every game they're announcing now. Are they going to start acting? Because they, they acted for months like Forbidden West wasn't coming to PS4. So, yeah, they must have known for a long time that it was. And I, I just I get a little nervous about this stuff. And, and by the way, a Washington Post article just published while we've been recording about backwards compatibility, which is another thing that they're they've been talking about and been weird about. Jim Ryan in this interview says 99% of PS4 games will run on PS5. So not a full back, not fully backwards compatible either. So it seems like there's a weird caveat with a lot of different things that they're announcing. Oh, Miles Morales is a launch PS5 exclusive mm, also on PS4. Uh, the console is going to be fully backwards compatible. 99% eh, backwards compatible. Yeah. What is that? 1% right? I wonder. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah. It's our game. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's our our game is the one that's not working. I, I would uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, it would make you wonder. Like, I I, I wonder if they're going to release a, a list of those games that don't work. I mean, that, it would be easier for them to do that than to list the games, obviously, that do work. Yeah. So I, I'll be really interested to see if they release a list of those games or if people compile it just by when the console is out, just by elimination, a process of elimination, basically. And then maybe we can tie some familiar tether between all these games to figure out why that is, because it's certainly very interesting at the very least. But uh, so, yeah, Miles Morales is a launch game. We kind of knew that already on PS5 will also be available on PS4 if you're not going to get the console immediately. By the way, I think this is going to convince a lot of people not to get the console immediately. So I'm a little confused by that as well. We also know Sackboy, a big adventure from Sumo Digital is going to be on both. That's a launch game for PS5 as well. And then Horizon Forbidden West due out ostensibly in 2021 will be on both consoles. We'll Keep an eye out for more on all of that. Demon Souls, we do know, is a PS5 console exclusive, so no worries there. Number seven, Sony revealed a new perk coming to PlayStation Plus subscribers only on PS5. The program is called the PlayStation Plus Collection, and it's basically a way for PS5 players with PS Plus subscriptions to try, quote unquote, generation defining PS4 games by simply downloading the games and having a go. The games teased include first party games God of War, Uncharted 4 Thief's End, Ratchet and Clank, the, uh, the Last Guardian, Days Gone, Infamous Second Son, and The Last of Us Remastered. Second party games include Bloodborne, Until Dawn, and Detroit Become Human. And third party games include Monster Hunter World, Final Fantasy 15, Fallout 4, Mortal Kombat X, or is it, is it 10 or X? I don't know. I think it's 10. Battle 
10 battlefield i because there's what iphone x right is the one there where it's not 10 it's iphone x or whatever i can't keep track of what people are doing it's whatever the hell who cares battlefield one batman arkham knight persona 5 and resident evil 7 captain canada wrote in and said look fats with the playstation plus collection announcement being a major development how do you feel it compares to xbox game pass frankly i'm a little confused as to how exactly the ps plus collection will work does this replace the free monthly games stay frosty gents so this was kind of exciting i thought because it's an, it's something about a service, which we're really not seeing too much about from Sony recently, especially with the arms race between them and Microsoft and Games Pass and PlayStation now. So I was hoping to see a little bit more there. But this seems like a pretty cool thing. I think people might be overthinking this. I think what they basically have is a sort of criterion collection, right, of games from their studios as well as from their close partners like Square Enix, WBI, EA, etc., And they're making them available to all PS Plus players just to get a little bit of taste of the previous generation. I don't know why you wouldn't just make this part of PlayStation now, because now that what this indicates to me, if anything, is is that they're going to take now and put it into plus, uh, not the other way around. And I think that this is a step in that direction, but I could be overanalyzing it. What did you think about this announcement? I think it's good. I I think um, giving players who spend a lot of money on a new piece of hardware with the option to like, you know, get the subscription service and have access to an instant library of games that will presumably look and run better on the new hardware. I think that's, uh, I think that's consumer friendly. I think that's, uh, I think that's a super smart move. I, I don't think this is necessarily for a lot of people who are already in the know. I feel like if you're a PlayStation guy in any capacity, you've probably played all these and probably already own all these, but I think for for new players, for people who like maybe missed out on the PS4 or maybe, uh, you know, younger people who are just kind of getting into the PlayStation ecosystem for the first time. I think this is a great thing. I think it's really good. Well, he he asked, does it compare to Game Pass? I I don't I don't think so. I I don't think it's necessarily fair to uh, because this is very clearly a different thing. I think they're doing they're operating on a similar function where the, the Series X is trying to do this thing where it's like, hey, you have an instant library. But this is more like a retroactive look at the previous generation as opposed to a service that gives you instant access to new shit, which is, I think, kind of the leg up that Game Pass has currently. But that doesn't mean it's not a good value or not a good thing to have on your on your new machine. I think it's super smart. Yeah, I think there's something here for Sony to rectify and clarify for people, which is just like, what are these what are these different subscriptions look like and are you going to allow people to kind of combine them? I mean, we recently saw with Apple, even with like what is called Apple one or whatever, where they're allowing you to combine like your TV thing and your cloud thing and your gaming thing into this kind of this one subscription and giving people different kind of a la carte options. I like the idea of being able to buy these things a la carte, but I just want to know like what the future vision is for PlayStation Plus and how that compares to PlayStation now and how they might fuse together. I think contextually, to your point, I think this is a really important thing for them to do for newcomers because you'll be able to get context for God of War. You'll be able to get context for Uncharted when that series inevitably continues. Uh, you'll get context for Ratchet. When Days Gone gets a sequel, you'll have context there, etc. Last of Us and all of that. So I think that it's just good to kind of get people involved in those. And then the third party games, the pretty heavy hitting third party games from their various partners. Monster Hunter World is Capcom's best selling game ever. Final Fantasy 15 is a big game. Fallout 4 is a big game. Persona 5 is a big game. So they they really did go to their various partners, whether it's Bethesda, whether it's Capcom, whether it's WBI, 
and they asked for their big guns and it seems like they got them. So this is costing Sony something as well. And it, that can't be lost. They're not paying a price for the first and second party games. They are obviously going to pay a price for these third party games. So, yeah, it does come at a cost. And and I, I think that I, I like the idea of having a criterion collection of games kind of swapping in and out outside of PlayStation now where they're saying, like, these are the games that are hot for you to understand right now. We're going to take this out now. We're going to put this in now. I, I hope that this um this catalog of games matures as as this PlayStation Plus collection stays around. Yeah, no, totally. PS5. I do think, though, it's weird that's that uh, Spider-Man seems to be the one conspicuous thing that's missing. Yeah, it seems like if you look through this, the newest game on here is Persona 5. And then from the the first and second party games, the newest game is is um, Days Gone. And then before that, God of War. So Spider-Man came out in between God of War and Days Gone. So you're right. There is something missing there, which is strange. Maybe that has something to do with uh, the licensing. You know? It's it's weird to me, just especially because like PS like that was the like Spider Man was the game that we saw of running on PS Five first. So right. it's, it's kind of weird that they would be just like arbitrarily excluded. That's true. A little weird. That's a good point. That's a good point. That was a very notable game when we first uh, heard about the load times and and all of these things. Now Captain Canada does ask, does it replace the free monthly games? I would assume not. I would really hope not. That wouldn't be acceptable. That wouldn't be an acceptable trade-off in my mind for yeah. those two things, personally. We'll see what happens. Number eight, Capcom showed off two games during the PlayStation event, one that's a mere re-release and one more that's a more in-depth tease of an already revealed game. For starters, Capcom opted to show us more of the next Resident Evil game, Resident Evil Village, ostensibly Resident Evil 8. The game under development since Resident Evil 7 launched in 2017 was first revealed in June when PS5 itself was revealed. This new showing of the game gives us a greater glimpse at its scope, size, and Resident Evil 4-like color palette, which I couldn't help but love. And the publisher slash developer has confirmed that the game will launch in 2021. I don't believe it. Capcom also showed off Devil May Cry 5 Special Edition for PS5, a sharp re-release of the popular PS4 game that came out back in March of 2019 to strong sales and critical reception. The Devil May Cry franchise began began back in 2001 on PS2 and was actually the first draft of what would later become Resident Evil 4. It's an interesting story if people want to go read about it. Resident Evil, on the other hand, premiered on PS1 in 1996 and is one of Capcom's most essential franchises. The last new Resident Evil game, Resident Evil 3 Remake, came out earlier this year on PS4. Does any of this do anything for you? I think that Resident Evil game looks fucking dope. Can't wait to play it. Yeah, no, it looks really cool. I, I was really all about that one. Uh, Devil May Cry was a little bit underwhelming. I think I, I almost don't even think they really should have showed it. It's just yeah, I agree. It's it, that was a weird one to. I mean, obviously bring the game over if you want, but I don't know why that was there. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you there. And Devil May Cry was a great game, by the way. Devil May Cry Five is is, is super super good. I, I love it, but it's one of those things where it's like, is is that the like, is that the one percent? You know, like is is Devil May Cry Five the the one that's not playable on ps5 because they want yeah, to buy this be. new thing this is what's confusing about this this weird kind of like you know non all or nothing approach to backwards compatibility as far as ps4 goes which is just like it, it makes these like special edition ps5 things a little bit stranger yeah it's i don't know like you make a good point here chris like are they about to are they about to reveal that some developers or publishers are not going to let their games be backwards compatible? Is that the holdup? That's kind of that's kind of tantalizing, isn't it? 
it's a little salacious. Yeah, oh, that's the right word. It's, salacious is definitely not the right word, but it's a, it's a little weird that that could be it. And of course, Skyrim, of course, will be ported. Oh, at yeah. some point as well. So maybe that will be in the in the one percent as well. So, yeah, Devil May Cry 5 seemed more like that was a deal they had with Capcom to show it off as opposed to really being excited to show that off. But I got to say, Resident Evil Village has Resident Evil 4 vibes like I, I can't even fathom how you could watch this and not get substantial RE4 vibes. Oh, that. yeah, no, totally. The merchant dude at the end. Yeah, I mean, that was awesome. But just the color palette and the village, you know, town like setting. And the, the just the browns and the and the beiges and stuff. I was like, wow, this is really going all in on Resident Evil 4. I can't say I'm mad about it. And we, of course, we're getting Resident Evil 4 remake as well. So maybe they'll be connected in some way. I don't know. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, maybe. Number nine, we saw some other games make appearances at the event as well, most notably in the form of Arcane Studios Deathloop, which, as we know, will be published by Bethesda, which owns Arcane but which will be a PlayStation 5 console exclusive when it comes out in 2021. We saw some footage from Raven's Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War Campaign 2. Shout out to giving Raven, by the way, a little screen time as opposed to Treyarch, which they did. With that game due out on PS4 as well as PS5 at launch with a so-called multiplayer alpha. I was thinking about you with this one happening only on PlayStation 4 <laughs> from September 18th through September 20th. Oddworld inhabitants showed off more of their long in development Oddworld game Soulstorm. And we also saw appearances by Five Nights at Freddy's in the form of its security breach expansion and Fortnite as well made an appearance. So this seemed to be just touching all of the, the bases with their various partners. I got to say, Deathloop looks absolutely phenomenal. It sounds absolutely phenomenal. I didn't quite know that that's the way the game worked. So basically what they showed was you only have 24 hours to kill these eight marks. Can you somehow convince two of the marks to get together by acting in a certain way? It had it actually has like Hitman vibes. Yeah. In some way, which was cool. So let's start there. What did you think about Arcane's Deathloop? Yeah, no, I, I was already kind of excited about this, but I, I also just like Arcane. I, I was really into Dishonored. Uh, Dishonored 2 was cool. I actually got around to really enjoying Prey, even though the, it really took a long time for me to get acclimated to it. Arcane just makes really cool and interesting FPS games that aren't necessarily for everybody all the time, but they're always interesting and they're always cool. And this is one that I kind of assumed would be something uh, interesting just just by the name it's attached to it. And it it, it looks really cool. I'm, I'm really into it. Um, I don't know if I necessarily care about this seemingly multiplayer kind of invader focused thing where like somebody like an I, I assume another player character tries to hunt you as well uh that that is something that i, I feel like i would turn off but as a, as a premise and as like a, as like a hitman kind of roguelike fps this is this is really interesting and really cool i'm all about it yeah yeah me too and i think the character models is like the uh, character the, the various enemies as well i think the game looks phenomenal i'm excited about it i'm not so much of an arcane fan i didn't like prey i didn't feel like the combat was very satisfying i felt like it was really obtuse yeah it really put it really put me off from playing it which was a disappointment because i liked i liked it until that point you know i was like oh this is fine yeah yeah yeah. i didn't like it either when we talked about it maybe we should maybe i should go back if you liked it again maybe i just didn't give it enough time although i i feel like i did play it quite a bit but maybe maybe i didn't it's been a while so death loop is Looking really good, sounding really good. And then we saw Black Ops Cold War Ravens 
campaign. I think it, I mean, it looks like it's popcorn flick stuff, but I think the game looks awesome. The, the one thing about it that I was a little confused about was like, what what are you? There was that scene on the tarmac when the plane was leaving and you're using the RB, the RC car and it beca- it becomes unclear in those sequences. Like, what are you actually doing? And what are you controlling and what is just happening? Uncharted had these problems a lot where like you would be down uh, in this Jeep and you'd be careening down a, a an embankment and enemies would be after you. But you can actually just not even play it and it would just do the same thing. I kind of got that kind of vibe from the some of the campaign footage we saw, but I think it looks cool. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Do you have anything to say about Black Ops Cold War? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm actually happy that Raven seems to be heading this because immediately from what I could tell uh, based on the campaign footage that I'd seen and and like comparing it to some campaign footage that I'd seen from previous Call of Duty games, it looks like they're actually, you know, adding things (laughs) and actually like making a a game that has substantially different mechanics from the previous. The, The fact that you could take like a human, like a meat shield, you know, and the fact that you could like pull like pull a grenade and put it in someone's pocket and kick them away from you yeah it was pretty cool just a lot of these like and th- those like ridiculous like over-the-top executions it's all right all right so this is like like he stabbed a dude in the head and then shot him in the face like it's like so <laughs> so <laughs> deeply needless but it it's different it, it doesn't it, it i guess there's like elements that feel like you know a black ops kind of call of duty game but it, it also feels like a like a raven game like it, it looks like a raven FPS. It looks like they're putting their own kind of twists and turns onto their onto the onto the series, and it looks actually genuinely interesting to play to me, just because it looks so different. Just in in the base minute to minute gameplay. Granted, there's nothing like super new in general about like meat shields and you know pu- putting a grenade on somebody and kicking them away. I think Gears of War Two did this like a long ass time ago, but it's still cool to see in a game series that I, in my opinion, is just kind of been really stagnant for a really, really long time. I'm excited, too, about some of the differences they're showing. And I was kind of shocked to see Raven getting top billing here and allowing them to show off the game. Raven is finally getting unleashed. It's been 10 long years since they made a game, really. Like they've been on full support duty ever since Singularity came out. That was two generations ago. So and Singularity, by the way, is a really great game. So it, I agree with you. I'm excited to see it. I'm interested to see you hear what you think about this multiplayer alpha. I thought about <laughs> you instantly when I saw this. So we already know that the so-called beta is going to be on PlayStation exclusively first for people that pre-order and then everyone or whatever. But now they're toting the alpha, which might even be running by the time people hear this. It'll be running from September 18th through September 20th. So that's a weekend. But th- now the terminology is getting really out of control because an alpha is often a couple of years away from release. Yeah. So now they're just going, now they're just going backwards with uh, their terminology. What did you think of that? Yeah, this isn't even new because the, I remember when destiny initially came out uh, the week of E3, they had a, a, an alpha, uh, a test alpha for destiny. And that was in like June. The game was out in, I think September, if I'm remembering it correctly, maybe November, I might be wrong, but yeah, the, 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 it's not a real alpha. Come on. Like the game comes out in two months. What are you gonna have a an alpha one month, a beta the next month, and then the game's done? Can you imagine? If that's how, <laughs> imagine how that's that's how game dev really worked. Just like oh yeah, in three months we'll have a, a completely finished game. Like what are you talking about? Just call it a demo. Like nobody, no. I feel like people would be fine with that. People would be excited about that too. Like 
You don't need to water down the actual meaning of game design lingo just for marketing tactics. Yeah, I I agree. It's weird. I, I don't like this this looseness of terminology. It confuses things. It's what we talk about with genres all the time, too, where we really have to have definitions and stick to them. I don't know why yeah. calling something a stress test or you know what I like? I don't know if anyone's ever used this terminology, but like what about something like, oh, a content test or something like where it's like, is everything I know they do balance tests and stuff but like, you know, here's the the suite. He, these are the yeah. different suites we're going to test and all that. Like, why not? Why not term it in a way that doesn't treat your consumer like they're stupid? Because it's not you don't run alphas two months before. One thing I do, comes uh, yeah. One thing I will give credit to uh, the coalition was that uh, when they were making Gears Five, they did th- their beta was just straight up. A, it was called like the Gears Stress Test, which is like, okay, I thank you. I know what this is, but at the same time, it, yeah, it's not as exciting. <laughs> so, maybe, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I guess I so because they're doing they're doing alphas all the time behind closed doors. So it, I guess it makes it seem like, oh, now we're letting you in on the action. I guess there's something exciting about that, but. Nonetheless, that's happening soon, 18th to the 20th. If you're interested, you can preload it as well. And then uh, Oddworld Inhabitants, as we said, showed Soulstorm. Uh, I know you're a big fan. I am a. I love Lauren Lanning. He's always been really nice to me. He's a really interesting dude. It was good to see him on the show. Do you have anything to say about this? I know you're a, a an Oddworld fan, so I, I, I would like to get your feedback on Soulstorm. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I, I, I would have liked to see what they could have done with the I always thought the 3D formula for Oddworld never really got that much of a, f- a fair shake. Uh, they tried it a little bit with Munch's Odyssey, and then they did this weird like Stranger's Wrath game, which was like this third-person like sla- platformer slash shooter that I, I don't think worked particularly well. But it's it's you know I, I'm definitely interested in seeing more 2D Oddworld, and and the they got the vibe completely right. I think obviously because Lauren Landing is still involved, I think they had no chance of really missing that vibe. Uh, the voice acting still sounds like really strange and really off in a, in the exact way that I remember and that I would want in a new Oddworld game. So I'm I'm super pumped to have that to have that itch scratched in a in a in a new way as opposed to like, you know, a remaster of something like New and Tasty was, which was also cool. But, you know, this is this is this is exciting for me personally. This was my highlight personally <laughs> because I'm just so excited. I'm interested to see how they breached even this this uh presentation because it was so triple a heavy and Oddworld inhabitants i don't think is a triple a studio per se i don't think they're trying to be that but it reminds me a lot of the witness being at the ps4 reveal if you remember correctly which was yeah. so weird and that ended up being a really big hit so we'll see and we'll keep an eye on Soulstorm. and then they showed five five nights at freddy's and Fortnite. i feel like these games just have to appear you know contractually i don't know yeah if, yeah I, I guess i didn't realize five nights at freddy's was still a thing that people cared about but i mean all right yeah i guess so it's i guess because it came to console especially playstation so late it's almost like people are behind right a substantial way maybe in that and fortnite obviously you want to give a shout to fortnite and we know sony now owns 2.5 percent of epic so that might have something to do with it as well so that's all of the uh news from the event itself Chris, what's your overall take on what we saw? I thought it was a good show. I, I, I didn't think it was necessarily incredible, but it I, I feel like it did everything it needed to do. We finally have the price. Uh, we finally have the release date. And I think that that's really all it needed to show to be exciting. A little bit weirded out about the nature of Spider-Man. But aside from that, they, I, I feel like it was a strong showcase. I, I wasn't I didn't expect to see Oddworld Inhabitants there. I didn't I didn't expect to see a Call of Duty game that looked interesting to me. 
And I didn't expect to be, you know, kind of suckered into Demon Souls in, in any capacity, but I, I was. And I feel like they showed exactly what they needed to <laughs> suckered show. Suckered into it. I like that. I like that terminology. <laughs> That's good stuff. All right, uh, Chris, now we're going to go back. And by the way, I agree with what you're saying. I think it was a strong showing. I think the price is right. I think the, the date's right. It's good to know everything. It's very exciting. Uh, we can finally compare and contrast things and we have more information and it's it's right on the horizon. I mean, not even two months away, we'll be playing our PlayStation 5s, at least if you're in the United States, if you're in Europe, too fucking bad. Yeah. And if you can cop one. Right. Exactly. That, too, as well. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. All right, Chris, as I promised at the top of the show, we're going to go backwards now and go back to corrections and notes, which is usually how we start the show. Then we'll go into what we're playing. Then we'll get into the rest of the non PS5 related news that was revealed. I just want to start again by letting everyone know that Twin Breaker, our game, our brick breaking game, our story driven game is coming to switch Xbox One and PC, as we already revealed on September 23rd. So maybe even by the time you hear this via our publishing partners at East Asia, Asia Soft. So if you want to support us on those platforms, please do. You can also buy it on PS4 and Vita still as well. And will be available on PS5. Brendan Scott wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris. I'm writing it today with a quick question. Are you planning to do any physical launch for T- Twin Breaker on Switch or Xbox? I missed the chance to get the PS4 and Vita copies as I was moving at the time, but would love to get it if you all are planning to. Love the game and keep making the best gaming podcast. Thank you, Brendan. So the answer for Xbox is no, we're not going to do a physical release. The answer for Switch is maybe. So the thing with Switch is that you have to have, I believe, you, I believe you, the minimum order for Switch carts that you have to make, as I understand it, is 3000 uh, the the threshold for PS4 and Vita is lower. Now, we ended up selling like over 4000 physical copies on PlayStation, but that's our bread and butter. I don't know if there's going to be demand for Switch enough for us to make 3000 copies. So what we're going to do with our publisher at East Asia Soft, and I'll do it on my Twitter account soon, is I'm going to put up a poll and I just want to see just, you know, it's not scientific, but just want to see if people would be interested in a Switch physical edition. So the answer to that is maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we will do one. But nonetheless, it will be available digitally on all platforms as of September 23rd. And Chris, Jesse Lundelin wrote into us. I want to get your take on this. He says, hey, CNC, weekly Splinter Cell update. Ubisoft has announced a new Splinter Cell game. Now that I get Chris all excited, it's a VR game exclusively for Oculus. As a Rift S owner, I'll take it. But this is still some bullshit. A new real Splinter Cell game has to be announced at the next Ubisoft forward. It like has to be right, guys. If it's not, Ubisoft is really playing an evil game with our emotions. I couldn't help but think of you, too, when I saw this, Chris. There is an Oculus game, Splinter Cell. That's what we're getting. How do you feel? Yeah, it's it's fucking annoying. <laughs> it's it's really 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 stupid. And and that's not even to say that a Splinter Cell game on VR isn't a great idea. I think I think it actually is. I think, you know, the the whole like the, the character is literally a pair of goggles. 
You know, it, it makes a, a perfect uh, amount of sense to have some kind of Splinter Cell experience uh, on VR exclusively to Oculus, though. And just in VR is I don't know, man, like this is just. I they must have contempt for Splinter Cell. I, I, I can't <laughs> I can't dis- I, I just don't understand what would compel people to to have this series and just be like. You're really going to take this series that people like and people have been like wanting a new entry for forever and, and put it on a platform that arguably has like a really low install base. You know, and my thing is this, right? They've been teasing this this character for a long time, so they must know that people like Splinter Cell. But and I th- but and I think we've talked about this before. VR is such a such a tumultuous landscape where the only people who can really afford to make a real AAA VR experience are Valve, where they just don't have a profit incentive at all, and they could just sit by and make money from other people's titles. So mm. the idea that we're going to be getting like a AAA Splinter Cell, I just I don't believe that. I feel like we're going to get a half-assed Splinter Cell on a platform that very few people own. And if that is really what they've been teasing... This whole time, I, I I feel like that's a slap in the face. I feel like it's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it really does make you wonder. I, I don't know. I'm not a Splinter Cell fan. I've really never been. But like you said, there are a lot of people out there that enjoy this franchise. It's too bad that it's not even coming to PSVR, so we can't play it on PlayStation at all, though maybe maybe it will eventually. Ubisoft doing an Oculus exclusive is a little strange, but not unheard of. So yeah, I couldn't help but think of Chris. I still feel, though, that they're going to come out with something and they can't just <laughs> continue to do this. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had even a slight the slight amount of optimism that you're showcasing right now. Moving on, Chris Tyler wrote into us and said, hey, fellas, do you all get frustrated with the mainstream games media reporting on rumors? I understand it's also the reader to know that it is a rumor and therefore not factual, but you just know someone is going to take it as truth and run with it. This can cause misinformation being passed and be detrimental. For instance, the rumor of the PlayStation 5 production being cut by 4 million because something to do with the chip inside the system. Sony themselves said the story was false. Who is getting these reports and is the media being irresponsible for reporting on rumors? So um, I don't know if you saw, Chris, yesterday that Bloomberg reported uh, usually a pretty reliable source. Actually, they reported that the PlayStation 5 was being cut down, I guess, from their production numbers by as much as by as many as four million mm-hmm. uh, due to, quote unquote, a key component. And Bloomberg reported this. I'm trying to click on the Bloomberg story. So Takashi Mochizuki is the guy who wrote this. He's the guy who he's in Japan and he has incredible connections with Sony. So he's he's they've been leaking a bunch of the stuff that that have been right. So my take on this is that I know that Sony has not or has de- denied this, but I think it's in the words that they use the, the the comment they use. They say, quote, while we do not release details related to manufacturing, the information provided by Bloomberg is false. We have not changed the production number for PlayStation 5 since the start of mass production, end quote. So it could be that both are true, that Bloomberg's reporting is true, that before mass production, they were expecting to make X and then now they're making Y. And Sony might also be telling the truth by saying that the numbers have not changed since the start of mass production. Yeah. So I don't know that I'm too upset about the reporting here. Sometimes things just get lost in in translation. I will remind people that, and I've said this many times, that um, 
I said I reported I didn't even actually report it, but I talked about back in 2014 that Microsoft was having was considering releasing Halo Master Chief Collection on PS4. This is a conversation that absolutely happened. I have it on great authority. I trust how I know it. And in the years since, a couple of people at Microsoft have said that have said that conversation didn't happen, but it did happen. So sometimes it's about knowing who like who's in the know. Sometimes it's simply about being yeah. misleading. And sometimes it's about the um, sometimes it's simply about just trying to kind of get out of something by rewording something, which is, I think, what happened here. So I have no problem with this particular story being, quote unquote, wrong. Did you take the story as anything other than what it was? Do you have anything to say about it? No, I, I mean, I, I think I mean, to his point, I, I feel like um, I feel like a lot of the rumors that I've seen in, in specifically as, as they revolve around like game releases or, you know, you know, manufacturing or development, they, they always seem to be true, maybe not all the time, but I, f- I feel like more often than not, when there's something that is leaked or a rumor that goes around, chances are it was I- it's either true and will be released soon as official information, or it was true, but plans changed or, you know, any number of other different things. But I don't really have a problem with the media reporting on rumors. If if there are substantiated rumors and the rumors that are going around the industry, I, there's a pretty good reason to report on them. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with this particular story. I think generally speaking, a lot of things do get proliferated and we do try to to march through that as best as we could. I think we last talked about this with a lot of the quote unquote reporting around uh, Silent Hill. Yeah, which didn't come to fruition. And I, I thought that that was pretty clearly fake. But who knows something might come out of that in the future so we don't try to report on everything people are talking about there's a lot of stuff we do not talk about on the show because of that but this is one of those things that i think something is lost in communication i don't think sony's lying but i don't think bloomberg's wrong either i think that there's some because again the source from bloomberg he this is the guy that told us about like almost everything to do with the ps5 so clearly he has great sources thank you for writing in though tyler and finally x-wing pilot 5 wrote into us i wonder if that's his god-given name He says, hello, cowards. Peanut butter burgers are delicious. I've heard you talk down on one of my favorite meals for two long weeks now, and I needed to chime in. I'll take it one step further. Peanut butter and jalapenos together on the burger. The creaminess of the peanut butter and the spiciness of the jalapeno makes for a truly amazing burger experience. You have to try it. Chris, I will even pay you. Thanks for making the days. This has become a very contentious point. We got a lot of people writing in about this. This is apparently not as unacceptable as we had once assumed. Apparently, I don't know. What do you think? I, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. I, I think that uh, I have never been in a restaurant or a bistro or a fast food place or any number of places that sell burgers that have, have even come close to offering peanut butter as a topping or a side. I have been to places that give you cheese curds with caramel. I've been to places that put bacon and milkshakes and never once at any of these places, have mm. I seen peanut butter offered as a topping on a burger, which tells me that either capitalism is wrong or that you're crazy. Mm. So I, I mm. can't. I can't with this. But I, I will say, I, I don't, I'm not even really that big of a fan of peanut butter as, as a base thing. Oh, okay. You know, like it's, it's fine. Like I, I like them in Reese's and like with chocolate, but very little, very little else. I, I, I don't care that much for pb and j's really feels like a candy sandwich you know i'd rather just have like a pastrami or something sure but 
I, I like peanut butter a lot. I just have a hard time, even with these recommendations and, and frankly, incensed messages we're getting <laughs> about it. Even with all of that, I just can't fathom it. It yeah. does. I love peanut butter, but it doesn't make sense. I think the only. I just think the only way. To know for sure is to try it, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, that is that is true. Maybe if uh, if I'm stuck in a cave in like Abu Dhabi and someone, you know, is holding me for ransom, you know, maybe I'll do it. <laughs> All right, Chris, let's talk about what we're playing. Finally, uh, it says here you're playing the Outer Worlds, which you promised you would get back to. So what are you thinking about it? Yeah, well, uh, I wanted to start Final Fantasy VII, but obviously I, I am not. Uh, I'm still quarantined in a hotel before it is safe for me to return home to my family. But you know, so I downloaded the Outer Worlds instead and, and picked it back up on my on my laptop that I bought specifically for this trip. And yeah, I'm I'm liking it a lot. I, I I'm kind of going through the same motions that I I went through already because none of my none of my uh, cloud saves. Uh, carried over to the PC version, which is kind of kind of sad, but it's it's still as good as I remember it. It's it's really charming and really cool, and the um, the amount of shit that you can talk yourself out of is really satisfying. And it it feels like a proper Obsidian game, and I'm I'm really happy with it. Still, uh, I I'm pl- I'm hoping to finish it in this quarantine time, but because I because I I heard it, it was pretty manageable. What a yeah! I heard it's not it's not supposed to be like incredibly long, which is nice actually, especially for a game like that, especially for a game that looks like that too, because it looks like one of those games that's gonna take for fucking ever to play when you when you just take a glance at it. Well, tell me a little bit about your hotel setup. So you don't have a console with you; you just have a PC. Yeah, right now I just have my gaming laptop. Um, I actually have Wasteland Three on it too. I, I might might get around to that because that's on PS PS Four too, right? Yep, I know it's uh, a Microsoft Exile game, owned but- by yeah, and in Exile is owned by Microsoft, but yeah, they did put it out on PS. Uh, PS4. Yeah, no. So I'm I'm just sitting in a hotel, upstate New York, around around my parents. My parents actually don't know I'm here. I'm I'm planning on getting. I'm actually getting tested tomorrow to make sure I'm not bringing any deadly contagion. But I'm planning on just kind of surprising them, kind of dropping in. I think it'd be a nice kind of little surprise. Oh, I'd be. I think they're really excited. They'll be really excited about that. Now, do you have to isolate yourself like this, or are you just doing it to do the right thing? I've often wondered that because I've not really traveled. I've not left Virginia at all since this happened. Actually, that's not true. I went to North Carolina to get Rush. But other than that, I've not really been out of Virginia at all since this all began. So I don't know. Are like people are you are they like tracking you and your movements and stuff? like that? Uh, they kind of insinuate that when you get a ticket. They're like, oh, hey, if you're going from L.A. to New York or New York to L.A., you know, you kind of have to. You got to, you know, you got to isolate yourself in a, in a hotel for two weeks or whatever. And you don't really have to do that. They're obviously not tracking you with drones or anything. Right. Uh, it is, I think, a, a really strong recommendation that if you are caught breaking, you could be fined heavily for. But I, I'm doing it for both reasons. I, I just, you know, I don't want to be an, an asshole. And uh, also, I just think it's I think it's a smart rule. So. Yeah, no, I, I have no problem with that at all. I was just wondering if they because I'm wondering what's stopping you from going to JFK and then just just driving home. The, yeah, no, exactly. Really yeah. going to stop you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right. I, Chris, I got to say, so I've been playing a little bit of Mega Man 11, a little bit of Antiquia Lost, all the stuff that I've been talking about. But I started up a game that we talked about last week that I said sounded really interesting. And so I wanted to give it a go. It's called Wintermore Tactics Club. 
And it's W-I-N-T-E-R-M-O-O-R Tactics Club. And I got to say, I love this game. It's one of the most charming, cute games I've played in a really long time. It's a, it takes place in 1981 at like some academy, like some high school. And these kids, these three kids are in a Dungeons and Dragons club, but they call it C&C. It's like curses and catacombs or something like that. <laughs> and they, they play together. They're in this club and there are all of these other clubs and the clubs are like outrageous. It's like the equestrian club and all these. It's really, really funny. Like there's all these that one of them is like the young monarchists and stuff like that. There's all these different clubs. And the principal or the, the headmaster of the school has this tournament to see who the ultimate club is. So you have this tournament in snowball fights, uh, but the snowball fights take place on the CNC board and they all imagine themselves as their characters and the enemies in the game they play. It is really, really good. It's really cute. And I'm super charmed by it. I highly recommend it. I got to recommend this game to people. That's awesome. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's not very difficult. It's kind of almost in a way like it's like what I always say about Pokemon. It's like baby's first role playing game. It, it kind of has that vibe with tactical role playing games like turn based strategy games. It's not really very difficult. It's not real time at all. You don't have that many options. Yeah, it's yeah. more about the it's more about the environment and the storytelling. And and I don't know. I just find it really likable. And as of the time that we're recording this, it's actually discounted for PlayStation Plus subscribers. So I think it's like 15 bucks or something like that. I think it's a great game. I I. I I encourage people to at least take a look at it, watch a trailer, see if you like it. But the word that keeps coming to mind, and I've said it several times already, is just it's charming. And I don't know that I'm like charmed by games very often, but I just I dig this game a lot. Like the main character is this like black girl. She's really nerdy and uh, she's really into her character. She's into like fantasy novels and all this kind of stuff. And then there's a the, the C&C master, the catacomb master, as opposed to the dungeon master is a guy named Colin actually in the game and he's like really nerdy and then there's another kid that's in your group and he's like an anarchist and he's like spray painting <laughs> things on the walls and he talks about how the principal's like a fascist and stuff it's very very cute a lot of a lot of charm here so definitely check it out wintermore tactics club if you're interested i'll have more to say about it next week hopefully i'll beat it by then all right chris let's get back into the news now we're going to skip all the way back down to the things that we didn't talk about yet that have nothing to do with the event as it just stood that we talked about, because there are a few other things to discuss. We're actually publishing this early. Yeah. So we're going to go like nine days in between episodes. So we might as well clear the docket. Yeah, while we can. Number 10, the long rumored no brainer Mass Effect trilogy is almost certainly real now that it has leaked complete with placeholder box art on a Portuguese online retailer's website. The collection will be called the Mass Effect trilogy remastered and it'll come to PS4 and elsewhere, though it remains to be seen when. It's long been assumed and even heavily rumored that it could come out rather quickly, even by the end of this year. BioWare's Mass Effect trilogy began in 2007 and ended in 2012. We didn't actually get the full Mass Effect experience on PS3 until 2012, when both the original Mass Effect and the third game launched on the console. We got Mass Effect 2, people might remember, before we got one on PS3. Ever since, those games have been isolated on PS3 hardware for PlayStation players, so this would be a great way to give both old fans and newcomers fresh access. It's not quite as bad as as Wii U getting Mass Effect 3. Remember that? That was, <laughs> like, the, that was like the weirdest thing ever. Wait, when did they get Mass Effect 3? What was that? Wii U, Mass Effect 3 was a Wii U launch game. And the only reason I remember that is because I reviewed it at IGN. And that's when I realized that the the sticks were below the... the uh, 
<laughs> were below the face buttons, which was fucking or no above them, which was driving me insane. So, yeah. And anyway, a lot of weird release stuff with Mass Effect trilogy. I don't know why EA is being so cagey with this. Do you, do you have any theories on why they just won't fucking announce this game? I don't know. Maybe they they want to. Maybe they want to just have one of these one of these weird surprise moments, but I feel like everybody kind of knows that this is happening, um, or at the very least, people are people have been expecting this kind of thing for a while. So I, I don't know why they don't just put this thing out or make it official and just make a lot of money. <laughs> it just seems like something that they would be totally into doing, but I really have no idea why they would even. Why they would be so cagey about this? It doesn't seem to make sense. Mass Effect isn't necessarily this this juggernaut anymore, uh, thanks to you know Andromeda not really painting the best series in the best of lights. I I, f- I feel like any positive news you have about Mass Effect, you should probably get that out sooner rather than later. And I especially because I don't know if you want to put it closer to Dragon Age Four stuff. Yeah, it's that's the point. Like I, I don't. The only other theory I have is that maybe they're going to announce another Mass Effect game. And this is going to be because, you know, it's been three and a half years since Andromeda. So. Maybe they're going to try to time it around that. I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't have any real theories. I'm a little bit skeptical all the time now of the surprise announcements, mostly because all of these websites that scrape the PSN for data always leak that shit, even if it's from the first party. Either trophies leak or like a patch goes up in the back end or something and someone scrapes it and yeah. finds out. And so it's really hard for them to do that anymore, especially if they're not first party. Like it seems like Sony gives a shit most about their own games, like their trophies don't pop up until really late. But it seems like everyone else's stuff gets ruined, so they don't really <laughs> they don't really care. So maybe it has something to do with that. That would be pretty exciting as if they were going to be like, we're making Mass Effect. I don't want to spoil Mass Effect 3. It would be hard to do a Mass Effect 4. I don't know how that would work. Yeah. But maybe they're going to, I don't know, I don't know, maybe maybe they're teasing something else. But you're right, with Dragon Age coming out of Bioware soon, we think, you don't want to really kind of put those things together. Maybe EA is planning some sort of event, but they've kind of, I was going to say they kind of splooged, that's a little disgusting, but <laughs> all of their games are out now. So now they, you know, because all their sports games are out, so now they have this this runway to make Mass Effect something again, and they they definitely owe the Mass Effect audience more than a trilogy this was something that should have came out a long time ago so yeah yeah i I don't know if i don't know if this ties into a new mass effect though i I, do you think bioware could could handle rebuilding anthem and making dragon age 4 at the same time as making another mass effect maybe probably not i mean so as i understand it that austin spinoff of bioware is the one that's fixing anthem and dragon age is being made in edmonton they did make Mass Effect and Dragon Age together in Edmonton. I don't know if they had that was before Austin existed. And I don't know if they have that kind of functionality there anymore because they were working out of Montreal too. Edmonton didn't make Andromeda. So it could be a thing where Casey Hudson's back in the fold. Drew Carpishan's not there anymore. So they don't have the writer because he went. I think he works at Wizards of the Coast now. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, it just seems like a weird thing to release out of nowhere if you're not going to continue Mass Effect anymore which I think a lot of people were assuming after Andromeda. It just seems like a weird thing to spit out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think but, they might be testing to see, like, what... That's typically what these remasters are for, specifically, like, these collections, right? It's kind of, like, either to, you know, reinvigorate an already existing great franchise or to just sort of test to see what the interest is. I think 
I think we will be getting another Mass Effect. I think that's kind of guaranteed just based on how big it is. But I don't know. This this could be just like a nice little roundabout thing to kind of put out in. I don't know. When when would you expect this kind of thing to to release? Like December? Like maybe like January or something? Uh, the trilogy? Yeah, I, I, I would assume it's a, it's a smart like December. Let's see. Let me look at the calendar here because I do like December releases for very limited games. So the first of December is a Tuesday and the fourth is a Friday. So those two dates would work. I don't think you can go any later than that. Yeah, but that gets you after Black Friday, after the new consoles. A little bit of the excitement is gone now. If you charge, let's say, 40 bucks, pretty attractive price. Maybe you can even get it to twenty nine ninety nine. That would be pretty attractive, especially because they're not remakes based on the limited information we know. But I don't know. I mean, you make a good point that Bioware seems to be slowing down. They also seem to have their hands full. And also, they seem to really not be going at 100% recently. So it might not not be wise to give them too many properties. And I think you and I are both of the same mind that we're most interested to see what happens with Anthem out of them. I I just want to see if they can save it or not, because that would be one of the great turnarounds of all time up there with Final Fantasy 14 and stuff like that, that games that were just saved from the brink. Very unlikely to happen. Yeah. All right. Let's see here, Chris. This isn't a huge surprise. Number 11, not shockingly, popular FPS Borderlands 3 is coming to PlayStation 5 natively, according to publisher and developer Gearbox. The great news here is that if you own the PS4 version, you'll be able to upgrade to the PS5 version at no additional cost to you. And better yet, all of your DLC and other extras, saves and more will come along for the ride. The game will run at a smooth 60 frames at 4K while playing single player and an interesting move and in an interesting move. I'm sorry. Four player split screen is being added to the next gen edition of Borderlands 3. It seems completely stupid. New DLC and add on content will be coming after Borderlands 3 migrates to PS5 and that content will be available for both PS4 and PS5. Gearbox doesn't note when Borderlands 3 will be available on PlayStation 5, however. I don't understand this four player split screen thing. It's a it's a cool idea to throw. How many people even remember playing four player split screen anymore when you think about like the younger kids? Like, who is this for? This just seems like a weird thing to do. I'll be interested to see how it runs rendering the game four times. That would be very interesting to see. But are you you're not really into Borderlands three, as I recall? Uh, I, I put it down for a little bit. It's actually the game that got me back into Destiny 2 because I, I just sort of I got frustrated with it with one particular. What a nice compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean, I there was a point where I just kind of got frustrated with it. It was make I got to a point where I was fighting this boss and the boss fight kept elongating itself. And it, it, it was one of these like, oh, you kill him, but he's healed back to full health again. And it happened like nine times. And it's like, I'm sure I was doing something wrong. But at, at a certain point, the joke was just like. The the joke was just not funny after like the ninth time. So I was just like, all right, I'm going to put this down and play something else because I, I still want to play a looter shooter right now. Right. Right. But I, I think I might. It's been long enough that I, I probably would jump back into it on, on newer hardware, because honestly, one of my main complaints aside from that one really unsavory gameplay experience that kind of tarnished it for me i i I felt like it didn't run very well like the 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 ui would would be very laggy i don't know if they maybe patch that in the future but the version that i played was in, in my opinion like reaching a level of you know almost kind of unplayable with with how ridiculously slow the ui is because borderlands is a game that's like super menu heavy like you're in your menus a lot in borderlands so like the idea that like half the experience doesn't run well and it's it's just menus is just was just like super just unappealing at the time 
Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, Borderlands 3's menus were so overproduced, let's say, that they weren't running well. They did patch that eventually. I recall them patching it. People would have to go back and listen to old episodes of this show, but I think they patched it when I was almost done. So it, it didn't come in time for me, but hopefully for others, the PS5 won't have that issue, obviously. But I liked Borderlands 3 a lot. I like Borderlands. I'm not really in, into it for the humor and stuff like that, like the zaniness. I really just like playing it. I think they're fun. Yeah, yeah. Play. But uh, I don't know that I'll play it again on PS5, but it's cool that it'll be free. So I have that option if I want to without spending more money. So thank you, Gearbox. We'll be keeping an eye out for that. No release date yet. Number 12, as it does each month, the MPD group has revealed new video game sales data for the United States, this time for the month of August 2020. For starters, industry spending is way, way up, perhaps not surprising considering the state of the world, but really surprising considering the waning generation and dropping prices. The industry experienced a staggering 37% year-over-year spending hike in August, which is incredible. That's nuts. So for, for people to just consider that, the industry is making about a third more than it did last year with cheaper consoles and cheaper games. So this is a great sign for the ubiquity of video games, regardless of where you play. I think it's a great sign for us as gamers. The five best-selling games in August in the U.S. were in order. Madden NFL 21, UFC 4, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Ghosts of Tsushima, and Animal Crossing New Horizons. By the way, Animal Crossing doesn't count digital sales, so it's almost certainly higher than that. Other notable games include Mortal Kombat 11 at 10, The Last of Us Part 2 at 12, and Final Fantasy 7 Remake at 19. For the year so far, the top 10 best-selling games are Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Animal Crossing New Horizons, The Last of Us Part 2, Final Fantasy 7 Remake, Ghost of Tsushima, Madden NFL 21, Dragon Ball Z, Kakarot, MLB 20, The Show, Mario Kart 8, and Mortal Kombat 11. Judging just PlayStation 4 software sales, these are the top 10 best-selling games in the U.S. in August. Madden NFL 21, Ghost of Tsushima, UFC 4, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, The Last of Us Part 2, Minecraft, Final Fantasy 7 Remake, MLB 20, The Show, Spider-Man, and PGA Tour 2K21 sneaking in there. And though it came out just this month and won't be counted until September's MPD report, they recently released an immaculate Activision compilation, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, is the fastest selling iteration of Tony Hawk in the series 20 plus year history. I thought that was a funny little stat. (laughs) That's awesome. So that's doing really, really well. We'll obviously see much more Tony Hawk in the future. So, Chris, I wanted to go into these sales just a little bit. Madden NFL 21 is already the sixth best selling game of the year. Just goes to show you how powerful that game is. I think people, especially listening to this show that probably aren't sports gamers too much, really underestimate that. So Madden NFL 21 doing really well. And also, if you break down sales, uh, top 10 sales for the year so far, Sony has four exclusives on that chart. They have the third, fourth, fifth, and eighth best-selling games. And The Last of Us, uh, Final Fantasy VII, Ghost of Tsushima, and MLB The Show. Three of those games are first party. And as I said earlier, PGA Tour 2K21 making a return for the first time in three years. Uh, The 10th best-selling game on PS4 for the month. So maybe coming back into its own. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. But congratulations to everyone that's selling so very well, including UFC 4, which I didn't even realize came out. Yeah. Second best selling game of the month. Look at that. Hey, I'm Nolan Sykes, a host of Past Gas, the number one automotive podcast in the world. Every week, my co-host, James Pumphrey, Joe Weber, and I bring you some of our favorite stories from the hollowed halls of car history. 
from the amazing to the weird to the utterly unforgettable moments, we cover it all. Join us as we take a look at the wild stories and larger-than-life characters behind legendary cars and car makers. So if you love cars or just like a good story, check out Past Gas by Donut Media, the number one automotive podcast in the world. Number 13, the Embracer Group, the holding company for THQ Nordic and its many associate companies and subsidiaries, has made yet another acquisition, this time of the Dutch studio called Vertigo Games. The price Embracer paid was worth more was worth about 50 million euro. This is a substantial move for Embracer and for PlayStation gamers, since Vertigo Games is a VR-only developer, and since Vertigo happens to be the developer of one of PSVR's most popular best-selling games, Arizona Sunshine, an FPS that launched back in 2016. The team has since been working on After the Fall, which, like Arizona Sunshine, is a co-op shooter that will be coming to PSVR at an undetermined point in the future. Vertigo also acts as a publisher for PSVR games. Games like A Fisherman's Tale and Traffic Jams came through them, even though they didn't make them. So Embracer, THQ Nordic, adding to their profile, through their portfolio of studios. Vertigo is a great pickup for them. A very notable PSVR studio. Arizona Sunshine, I never played, actually, but people love that game. And it's always in the top 10, as you might recall, in PSVR games sold. So congratulations to the newly riched million uh, minted millionaires at, Ver- at uh, Vertigo Games. Number 14, during last week's episode, we speculated as to why Ubisoft's upcoming game, Immortal Phoenix Uprising, randomly changed its name, having been previously called Gods and Monsters. We assumed it had something to do with trademarks, and it appears that is indeed the case, if a report from website TechRaptor is any indication. The website notes that when Ubisoft applied for the trademark for Gods and Monsters, it was contested by none other than Monster Energy, the company that owns, amongst other monster-related brands, (laughs) Monster Energy Drink. The opposition reads in part, quote, Opposer will be damaged by registration of the applications in that applicant's mark, so resembles opposer's marks, ellipsis, as to be likely when used on or in conjunction with applicants' goods and services as to cause confusion or to cause mistake or to deceive, end quote. Ubisoft actually fought back, and after going back and forth, the two sides decided to settle, and Ubisoft ended up changing the game's name as a result. So I was right about this being... There was be- being way more to, the, than, to this than just renaming the game. Yeah. They're, they must have had some sort of trademarking issue a la Rockman slash Mega Man. So that was the case. Uh, if you give a shit about Immortal Phoenix Uprising. Is it finally? Is it, is it Immortal? I thought it was Immortal's Phoenix Rising or something. Oh, Rising. You're right. Maybe it is Rising. Also, also how the hell does they can't possibly own the trademark to the word monster. Could they? No, I I think that this isn't. It's funny because do you remember Monster Cables? I don't yeah. know if that's still a thing anymore. They were also really insane about protecting that trademark. And I think it's tough because the word monster is just so ubiquitous. This is why I say you should just trademark shit. I trademark my names. I know you had a problem with Snark Tank recently with the people that, by the way, that was really funny. Uh, <laughs> with the people yeah. that also ran in a podcast. Well, what a bunch of self-important assholes. Yeah. So always protect your IP, everyone. And finally, number 15 is a wrap up. The official PlayStation blog reports that adventure game Tohu is coming to PlayStation 4 at some point later in 2020. And that first person hack and slash game Until You Fall is coming to PSVR on September 29th. Website IGN reports that sci-fi game The Invincible has been announced for PlayStation 5 to be released at an unknown point in the future. It's worth noting that that's a Polish studio making that game with some people that worked on The Witcher. And cyberpunk, if you're interested, that Don't Nod's Thriller Twin Mirror, which was announced a long time ago, is coming to PlayStation 4 on December 1st. 
that action game Ghost Runner is coming to PlayStation 4 on October 27th, and that horror game Amnesia Rebirth is coming to PlayStation 4 on October 20th. Website Gamatsu reports that WayForward is making a Ruby game, that's R-W-B-Y, that's the Rooster Teeth anime, to be released on PlayStation platforms in 2021 by way of Arc System Works. That farming game Harvest Moon One World has been delayed and will now come to PS4 on March 2nd next year. That third-person shooter Foreclosed is coming to PS5 in addition to the already-revealed PS4 version in 2021. That adventure game The Uncertain Light at the End is coming to PS4 in 2021. That side-scroller Bladed Fury is coming to PS4 on January 21st, early next year. That adventure game Iris Fall is coming to PS4 on January 8th, early in 2021. That action RPG Zenjin has been delayed to 2021 on PS4. That action platformer Golden Force is coming to PS4 later this year. And that horror game The Origin Blind Maid is coming to PS4 early in 2021. Website Push Square reports that 2D platformer Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom is coming to PS5 at an unknown point in the future. And that Saturn-centric Panzer Dragoon remake will be coming to PS4 also at an unknown point in the future. And finally, developer Ember Lab has revealed that its eagerly anticipated PS4 and PS5 game Kenna Bridge of Spirits, Spirits I'm sorry, which was originally due out this year, won't come out until early 2021. By the way, as far as Ruby is concerned, RWBY. So I used to, I founded, I co-founded Kind of Funny and we worked with Rooster Teeth and I had no idea how to say that name. We used to go to Austin to see them sometimes and I was taught then that that, that is pronounced Ruby, which yeah. I did not know. I had no idea. And I still don't really understand what it is, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> All right, Chris, new game releases. There aren't too many of them this week, but as tradition dictates, you will go first. Active Neurons 2 comes to PS4. Active Neurons 2 is a game that trains the player in spatial logical thinking. Your main task in the game is to collect enough energy to discover the 12 greatest inventions of mankind. Look for the right way to energy charges. That's what it says. I didn't edit this, so that's just bad. <laughs> that's just a typo on the PS. Okay, <laughs> yeah, look, look for the right way. Look for the right way to energy charges using obstacles in the level. Avoid dangerous obstacles. They are destructive. Teleport from one space to another to get closer to your goal. Solve tasks on memory and orientation in space to get to the blocked areas. Destroy, move, and combine objects on the levels to get to energy sources. <laughs> All right, we'll do that. <laughs> Inertial Drift comes to PS4. Forget everything you know about drifting. That's easy enough because I don't know anything about drifting. So I'm going to do that. Set in the 90s retro future, Inertial Drift is an arcade racer with a devastatingly unique handling model and unbelievably satisfying twin stick drift mechanics. Inertial Drift offers a whole new level of accessibility and challenge to the arcade racing genre for a driving experience genuinely unlike anything you've played before. Spelunky 2 comes to PS4. Spelunky returns in this greatly expanded sequel to the original roguelike platformer. Meet the generation that me oh meet the next generation of explorers as they find themselves on the moon searching for treasure and missing family. Spelunky 2 builds upon the unique randomized challenges that made the original a classic, offering a huge adventure designed to satisfy players old and new. Explore the game alone, play locally with up to four players, or, for the first time, join up with friends online to unravel its mysteries together, or battle it out in competitive arena modes. Did you know anyone that was really into Spelunky, by chance? You know what? No. No, I, I saw it a lot on uh, on XBLA, on the Xbox Live Arcade, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know anybody who really, really played it. 
it was like a big phenomenon when I was at IGN. Like people really loved it. And I was looking at Spelunky 2 and I just I don't feel like it. I mean, it looks exactly the same from a gameplay perspective, but the graphics don't have the same charm. I think it's I could be wrong, but I think they made it in 2.5 D and I don't recall the first Spelunky being 2.5 D. I want to look because I want I don't I want to make sure I'm not crazy about this. Do you remember? I don't really. Yeah, I don't really remember one. I feel like it was sprites, but I might be misremembering. Yeah, no, this was they definitely look different. Maybe not. I don't know. I can't tell. Everything's so fucking compressed on YouTube. (laughs) Drive me nuts. Yeah, no, it's pretty bad. So anyway, that's coming out. That's a big that's a big release. Spelunky's huge. I don't know if it's as huge as it used to be, but it was definitely I felt like because I'm such a big fan of side scrollers. I always always felt like I was missing something. I don't really give a shit about this game, but it was on Vita and people really liked it there. All right. Spot the difference comes to PS4 from the original creators of the world famous spot. The difference amusement machine game. We bring you the we bring you two players spot the difference. So now for the first time ever, you can play head to head against anyone anytime a world first. Why is world capitalized? This two player edition of spot. The difference has the same exciting gameplay as the original amusement machine game. And just like the amusement machine, it will take sharp eyes and quick wits to uncover all the differences before you're a, before you opponent, before you opponent, or against the clock in single player mode. Equipped with our patented spot the difference image processing technology, no game will be the same. Come on, man. I, I, I want people to just go read. It's not even the way it reads, which is not right, but just look at the way it's written. <laughs> if you go to the PlayStation Network, like, why doesn't anyone care? It doesn't, it's so weird. It doesn't get it doesn't get better. Uh, it's so weird. Why doesn't anyone care? It doesn't get better. The true <laughs> uh, comes to PS4. The game is a spinoff of Laws of Machine. In the game, you have to play as a young girl named Sarah who has to find out what happened in Robotech Lab. Uh, to figure out what really happened in the lab, you have to reach underground Asindo Lab, where the... Ch- it sounds Russian. Yeah, yeah, it definitely. This, uh, I'd be shocked if this game wasn't the Russian. trail that Sarah <laughs> found in, her me- in the memory of a robot DR-12 leads. While playing, you have to solve puzzles, fight with strange creatures, and finally find out not only what actually happened in the Robotech, uh, Robotech Lab, but also... About who Sarah really is. The player has a portable teleport gun, which can freeze, burn, spin water, and move the objects. Challenge yourself and learn learn the truth. Spins water like a microwave. <laughs> I think that's how microwaves make things warm, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It rotates the water molecule. Yeah, it just uh, rotates radiation into your food. And I love, by the way, when people still use the terminology, like I'm going to nuke this when they put it in the microwave, yeah. which is like such old, like 50 year old terminology. I love that. That's just transcended time today. <laughs> it's so good. It's so weird that microwaves used to be. And you ever see like an old microwave that's like enormous. There they used to be a nor- microwaves were enormous. It's so funny how small they've become. All right. Finally, Chris Windbound comes to PS4. Shipwrecked alone on an uncharted island, explore, adapt and navigate the land and perilous seas to stay alive. As Kara, you are a warrior caught at sea in a fierce storm adrift from your tribe. Thrown from your boat at the mercy of the turbulent waters, you are tossed onto the shores of the Forbidden Islands, a mysterious paradise. With no boat, no food or tools, just the will will and skill to survive. Uncover this beautiful island's rich resources. Craft tools and weapons to hunt and defend yourself against nature itself with its wild and fantastical creatures. 
Whilst exploring further islands and the scattered ruins across their lands, secrets of the past and glimpses of the future are revealed. Unravel the mystery behind them all, and you may find more than just your way home. That's the only decent write-up that we have this week. Yeah. But Spelunky 2 is probably the only notable game. Inertial Drift is I've, I've been reading about here and there. I don't know if it's any good, but not too much to select from this week. This used to be the way PSN looked at one time yeah. in the distant past. All right, Chris, let's get into listener mail. As tradition dictates, we always end with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience as gleamed from patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where 10,000 of you support us, and we appreciate it very much. Why am I yelling like this? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. All right. Kane Taylor wrote into us, said, hey, guys, a bit of a weird one here. But do you find that as video game fans, we're constantly riding the treadmill of hype? It occurred to me the other day that I'm always looking forward to the next big thing and all of its promises, yet never really taking the time to appreciate what we already have. We seem to be in a forward facing perpetual loop, hanging on to the next piece of gaming hype. While I do enjoy this hobby, it does make me wonder what other industries have as much hype among their fans. It seems that as fans, our default position is to be hyped unless given a reason not to be. Yet other industries have to consistently fight to prove themselves worthy of our hard-earned money and attention. As a side note, I do think you two boys do a great job of staying fairly grounded, but you don't have to look much further to find other game journalists who are losing their minds over a mere hint of a release date announcing an upcoming CGI, CGI teaser about some concept art. Interested to hear your thoughts. I thought Kane's question, Chris, was really good uh, to include in this episode because of what we're talking about today, PlayStation 5 and its yeah. release date and its price. I've long been an advocate of anti-hype. I think it's really important to have anti-hype in the gaming industry. I don't understand where all of the hype comes from. I don't see. Here's the thing. I love video games. I've been playing video games for over 30 years. I made a profession out of video games. I make video games now. I love them. They're, they're my life. I don't understand being perpetually excited about everything corporations tell you. It makes no sense. Uh, to Kane's point, it doesn't happen in any other industry. And I just I always try to I, I want to garner an audience that's kind of like minded or at least if they're not like minded, that they understand where we're coming from or where I'm coming from, where. Yeah, I'm not going to get excited about something really, truly excited about it with rare exception until I play it. And you announcing a game is not going to do it for me. The, the only exceptions to this are probably like Castlevania and Mega Man and, and a few other things like if they were like. We're releasing Final Fantasy VI with trophies. You know, I, I would shit across town. I'd be so excited. But I don't understand the hype. And I, I, I'm so glad Kane sees in our show that level of anti-hype that I really think is is important. What do you think about what he has to say? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I feel like I always... Um, I, I talk to a lot of people and, you know, they're, they have varying degrees of, like, whether or not they're hyped about stuff or whether or not they're kind of jaded and I, I feel like I'm always of the position where it's like, I'm always going to be excited to see shit that I know I'm interested in. Uh, but I, I do think there's a difference between excitement and hype. Like, I think you could be, have a healthy level of excitement for something without giving into like insane hype. Like, I am excited to play Cyberpunk 2077. I don't think it's going to be the greatest thing that's ever been created. I don't think it's going to, you know, find me a wife and a happy life. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I I have reason to believe that it's going to be a solid game and I have reason to expect that I'm going to enjoy my time with it. And because of that, I can have a healthy amount of excitement. And I think that's really, I think that's fine. I, th I think everybody has their own thing that they get super hyped about. 
obviously like whenever Bungie does anything I'm I'm probably going to be excited regardless like they, they could say like literally oh we're we're announcing a new game it's called uh it's called Garbage Child and I'll be like yes <laughs> yes I'll pre-order that dire- like today and I think I think everybody everybody gets one you know I think that's right. that's kind of the way that I I approach things it's like you you can have enough. one thing that you're unreasonably hyped about but when you're tweeting about every single thing you know and you're just like wow oh wow i can't believe this game doesn't look like a piece of shit and that's like your bar you know like i don't know it's a bit much i'm on on one hand i i really hate the video game industry you know like (laughs) just the industry itself i got news for you uh call (laughs) yeah don't don't ruin it for me (laughs) oh i work in the industry that's too bad so I, i just to me i I don't like the way it I feel like the gaming industry and the way it's covered is a little shameless. And it was why I wanted to put and why I think all Lilymo games moving forward are going to put in front of it. The, the, when you turn on our game Twinbreaker, it thanks you for buying it and thanks you for spending the time to play it. And like just those little things, I think, go a long way to making the industry more hospitable and more habitable to people that just want to buy a game and play it and not get wrapped up in the hype and not get wrapped up in the excitement and all of that. I appreciate people's excitement. I think it's really cool to be excited and to be energetic, but I think that people are often victimized by their hype and then they get hyped up again and then they get victimized by it and they get caught in this loop that I think is incredibly destructive and it's peculiar because why would you allow yourself to get caught in that loop? Why won't you learn your lesson after a while to not to not just trust the hype of a publisher, to not just trust the media. You know, again, the half of the Harry Potter story on Kotaku is about how J.K. Rowling is transphobic. I got to tweet that out later. That's too funny that I predicted that. I love that. I love that that happened in real time. I told you, motherfuckers, stop <laughs> doubting me. Stop. When are you going to learn? Why am I screaming so much today? It's an ener- it's, a, it's an exciting day. Yeah, I guess so. All right, Dick McFarmhouse wrote in. I don't think that's his real name. <laughs> that's an amazing name. He says, hello there, CM Twinsies. Have either of you been keeping track of the game BPM, bullets per minute? Right now, it's only on PC, but has been confirmed to be on its way to consoles at a later date. It's a rhythm-based game that plays like Doom in a roguelike gameplay loop. I've got to say that it's pretty damn neat, especially as someone who is a musician that loves Doom and roguelikes. This game also seems right up both your alleys, so to speak. Chris, have you seen this game at all? I have actually have been keeping an eye on this game. It looks great. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it just came to PC. Yeah. No, I uh, they actually reached out to me recently because I was I was uh, a friend of mine. Skill up, he's like this Australian YouTube games reviewer. Yeah, he, I he follow like, him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he posted like a clip of him playing, and I was like, this looks like amazing. This is like a rhythm based Doom, and then they reached out to me and sent me a code. I had never got it. I assumed it just got lost in my many emails, but. Uh, I got it today because I think it came out like either today or like yesterday and I got it on PC and it, it is it is cool. It is really cool. I'm excited for this to come to console where I could play it comfortably because I'm, I'm kind of bad with mouse and keyboard and it doesn't feel like they've gotten the controller controls quite right in this version quite yet. But no, the premise of it is awesome. It's it's just it's a rhythm based doom game basically and it, it's super cool. It's super, super cool. It's right. It's exactly my kind of game. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, people can go look up footage of it. There are reviews out now on PC. It's from a studio called Awe Interactive. They self-published it. It is on Steam. 
And as Dick McFarmhouse let us know, it is coming to PS4, I think. I don't know if it's coming to PS5 as well. It might be. But yeah, it looks great. And what's so I love first person games. I love first person shooters like Chris does. And so it's always nice to get something that's truly unique. I don't mind playing Call of Duty and all of those games that are a little more generic. I like the way they feel. I like to play them. But having something unique, like a, a truly new idea is different. And I like that. So I want to support it when it comes to PlayStation. And I will do that, Dick McFarmhouse. So thank you for writing in. And letting us know. Skull Hottie wrote into us and said, hey, peeps, I was wondering what your thoughts are on game opinions you hear from people who didn't finish the game. Although it's very understandable that people don't finish all their games. Can I really take someone's opinion on The Last of Us Part 2 seriously if they quit playing before they beat it? Does this affect how confidently you yourself speak about games you've played? I uh, self edited that question from Skull Hottie, by the way, because I don't want to spoil The Last of Us Part 2. So just wanted to throw that out there. It's not verbatim what he said, but. How do you feel about hearing people's opinions, Chris, if they've not seen a game through to completion? Because I feel like this is an issue that is far overplayed, and I don't think you need to see a game through to completion to have a valid opinion on it. And I wonder what you think of that. Yeah, I, I don't think you necessarily need to. I, I think if you're if you're trying to deliver a content complete review of something and and ex, and you know. Uh, review something as a complete package. I, I think there is a little bit of onus uh, on you to finish the title at the very least. But if something is unspeakably bad, you know, you don't need to finish it to know that it's bad, you know. And honestly, like, I, I think the same thing goes for things that are good. Uh, I, I think, you know, there's there are odd. Uh, there are occasional. Exceptions, I guess, like I, I guess a lot of people would consider the ending of, you know, Mass Effect three. To be, you know, something that undoes all the good of the of the game up until it. I, I kind of disagree with that. But yeah, I haven't finished Final Fantasy seven remake. Uh, and I can tell you that's a good game. I, I still I still think that's a good game. And I, I think if I beat it, my opinion wouldn't change so much as I would just be more convinced of the opinion that I already had. So I don't think it's necessarily like imperative that you finish it because there's no way i'm gonna finish ride to hell retribution to tell you how bad ride ride to hell retribution is <laughs> you know ride to hell retribution is bad from the first minute and you know tony hawk pro skater by the way is great from the first minute mm. like it's it's mm. there are some games you just know man and uh yeah you just don't need this weird completion mentality yeah yeah i feel like i i, I think you make a lot of good points here because i think that the most valid opinion on a game is if you've beaten it, probably. Yeah. I think generally speaking, but just because you've seen it all the way through. But I don't think you have an invalid opinion on a game just because you saw part of it. I famously gave the game Amy a two at IGN, which is one of the lowest scores IGN's ever given. And the part of the review I wrote was that I refused to play it any further than I got because it was so bad that I, I, I think the, I think I wrote something like, that's it. I'm not playing. I'm, I refuse to play this game anymore. That's like in the review. <laughs> Actually, I was supposed to interview the developer and set it up uh, before I reviewed it. And then they they canceled the review. Probably not not a huge surprise uh, or they canceled the interview rather. But I feel like there are plenty of examples and depending on what you know about games and how you trust the person too. if you trust me, I think I know plenty about games. So I think you can trust me, but that's up to you. But if you can get uh, the information you need out of a person without having played a game all the way through, I think that that's valid. And I'm well beyond the point in my life where I'm going to play a game all the way through if I don't like it, just to see if I don't like it. I spite played a lot of games when I was when I was younger uh, just to play them. Assassin's Creed 2, famously, I platinumed because I hated it so much and I wanted to prove that I played it all and I still hated it. 
I can't do that anymore. I'm too old for that now. Yeah. I was too old for that then. <laughs> you know, what was I like 25? You can't be doing that 25 years old. So no, but no, I don't think it's a big deal. And, and in reviews and criticism, I think as long as people are clear about what they've played, Tales of Exilia is a game I reviewed at IGN and I, I played it for 50 hours and I reviewed it without beating it. That's enough. And I let everyone know in the review. So if you really have an issue with that, then just don't take what I have to say seriously. So as long as you're being transparent and all of that, I don't think it's a big deal. But I can speak pretty confidently about the games that I've started. And it's very rare that after 10 hours, a game just totally changes and becomes amazing. It just doesn't happen very. It happens, but it doesn't happen very often. Usually Final Fantasy 13, of course, is always the great example. The 40 hour game where you have to play it for 40 hours until it gets good. I always loved that. <laughs> that was the good stuff. Yeah, it's a full work week. Jesus. Uh, all right, let's see here. Michael Doro wrote into us and said, hey, guys, I don't know if I've missed something over the past few episodes because I like to listen to you to bake that out of my fucking mind. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, Michael. But I feel like you haven't mentioned a little game called Fall Guys or haven't talked about it extensively. What's the deal? If you did have a conversation around Fall Guys and I'm posting this, I'll go fuck myself. Keep doing what you do. Well, we we have talked about it, but I don't think we've talked about it extensively at all. Fall Guys is a phenomenon, man. My nephews were over. I was watching them last week. And they love playing on my my they have their own PS4, but and switch and stuff because I bought them for them. But they wanted to download Fall Guys and play it. And we had a little bit of an issue because I'm like, I don't want you playing on my account and I want the trophies. And then they couldn't play as a guest. And it was whatever. They played Tony Hawk and other stuff. But they were like, they're really into this game. This game is a a real phenomenon with the young people and with um, God, I sound so old. And with the uh, (laughs) with with Twitch streamers and everyone out there. So uh, do you have any opinions on this game? I think it looks great. I just haven't played it yet i don't know that i really will yeah i just kind of haven't gotten around to it and it looks like there's a new thing called like among us that is uh kind of like a, a another new thing that's like kind of like simplistic art style that's kind of becoming a phenomenon in the same way uh it feels like we're getting a new one of these kind of often now but no yeah i, I what i've seen of fall guys i, I like i just i i straight up just haven't gotten around to it that's literally that's literally it. I want to play it. It's it looks really fun. I, I won't deny that at all. It looks really, really fun. So I'm glad that they're doing well. And as I told you guys, the studio that made that game made a game that I loved called Foul Play on Vita, which was it's just so funny to see see how far they've come and what kind of games they're making now. Fishtig wrote into us and said, hello, Sky Captain Colin and Captain Chris Mandolin. I don't even understand that reference, but I'm sure it's something. Yeah, me neither. This question is more for Colin than Chris, as he is but a young pup. But of course, he can answer, too, if he feels the need. I just wondered if you still feel that there is a stigma for liking video games into your later years. I, like Colin, am in my 30s. And when I have told people that I am excited for the release of PS5, I still get the look of you like video games. Aren't they for kids? I have also had people straight up ask me if I'm joking as well. If I say I'm looking forward to a game such as Avengers or Spider-Man when it was released. Anyway, I hope you are both well. Keep Tuesdays and Fridays. So pizza loving fiends. Thank you, Fishstig, for writing in. Now, Chris, you are about 10 years younger than me, so we do have different opinions on this, although I, I think we probably actually probably have the same opinion. I don't give a flying fuck what anyone <laughs> thinks about me playing video games, me loving games, and the average age of a video gamer just gets more, it gets older and older every year because older people play games. And so I think games are for everyone, games are for children, games for are for adults, and The industry is finally starting to mature in such a way that I don't think it's unusual for adults to play games. Now, I live in my own little bubble, my own little world, and I I worked in the industry, so I was amongst 
like-minded people. We didn't really deal with outsiders. Any of the outsiders, spouses, roommates, whatever that we knew that weren't in the industry were familiar with the industry. So we, we didn't, weren't really getting judged, but I don't know that I've ever really truly felt judged in, as an adult. And maybe a lot of that has to do with the fact that I've just made a go of it as an adult where I've just made my money in the industry. I've, I've made a career in the industry and own businesses in the industry. So it's a little different for me as opposed to just someone who's playing. So I've never felt that judgment and that stigma. Maybe that's possible. Chris, how do you feel about fish digs inquiry inquiry about age and stigmas and gaming? And is, is there such a thing as being too old and how do you deal with that? And do you care? Do you deal with any of that in your own life? Yeah, no, I, I, I gotta, I gotta say, I, I think I might be in a similar th- situation as you where I'm not in the video game industry directly, but I am in the content creator space and most of the people that I meet are just sort of already into video games. They know what Twitch streaming is. They kind of understand the medium. Uh, but even outside of career, I, I feel like, you know, I, I've always had a lot of cousins and a lot of uncles who play video games and they play video games with their kids. And every New Year's they come over and they, they play like Call of Duty or, you know, whatever the hell. And so, yeah, games, I, I regularly have conversations with uncles and and cousins who are like way older than me that are like pumped about you know any number of things i I still have cousins and uncles who who have kids who are excited about like marvel movies you know i feel like i feel like that stigma is is kind of going away i I feel like it's something that i really haven't dealt with since geez probably like maybe maybe when i was like a really little kid some kids would be like ew you like video games but then like eventually madden was popular you know (laughs) so even those kids got around to playing it at some point or like nba 2k or something like that yeah times are changing which is which is great so no worries about the stigma don't worry about what other people think about you just do what you do as long as you're not hurting anyone and you're taking care of your business i say do what you do and finally trent sinning wrote up wrote into us and said what's up guys how do you think physical collector's editions will be handled this console generation With both Sony and Microsoft making digital-only versions of their consoles, it would seem wrong for these special collector's editions to include a physical copy of the game, like they usually do now. Do you think we start seeing collector's editions being sold without a game, or would they just include a download code that comes with them? Keep up the great work, guys. I do love the idea of having two different collector's editions. I wonder, though, how they're going to deal with this. What do you think? I feel like people that are getting the digital consoles are not going to be interested in collector's editions of physical games anyway. So... There is no point. I, I guess maybe people want some of the accoutrements and like tchotchkes, but I don't know that there's going to be much crossover. Why would you buy a digital version of a console and then buy a, a physical collector's edition of a game? It doesn't really seem to make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm kind of with you. I, I think the most likely scenario is you'll see you'll have an option, right? You'll have like, OK, with disc or without or maybe you just have a, a collector's edition that is just base like that's that isn't console or platform specific you know and it just sort of has like the accoutrements and then you just bundle the game separately as uh you know like oh you get a ps4 disc or a ps4 code or an xbox code or an xbox disc uh but the collector's edition physically is essentially the same or something along those lines just just to streamline and simplify as opposed to having like several different SKUs of the same collector's collector's edition which i feel like would be a little bit confusing I don't know. It would. It's it's a weird thing, but I I remember. I can't remember the first game to do this to launch without a game in the collector's edition. But I remember thinking at the time that it was kind of smart 
just because it gives people an opportunity to like pre-order something that they know they're going to want, like in the form of like a bunch of collectible items without having to make like a platform commitment if they don't know what platform they're going to get yet. Uh, so I do think it's, there's a, there's an intelligence to that philosophy of like no game with a collector's edition, but we're really just going to have to see how it shakes this generation now that all digital editions of the consoles are going to be kind of widespread. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if it becomes more about, again, those accoutrements as opposed to the game, like, here's just a limited edition statue that you can buy separate from the game that now everything won't come together. This is one of those proof in the pudding things where we're, we're going to see how the publishers deal with them. It's funny you brought up the, that this already happens. I mean, it was a story when a game in the rare occasion when a special edition didn't come with the game itself. It's funny that you thought that that was smart. It probably actually was because it was a trend uh, moving towards the digital future. But I remember everyone thinking that that was madness at the time. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I remember being like one of the only people who thought it was kind of cool. That's all we got for this episode. Wow. That's the that's it. That's it. We got it. That's all. So PlayStation 5, November 12th, 399 or 499 US dollars, depending. Hope you guys get your pre-orders in order. Don't forget to pre-order your games. And if you want them physical as well, controllers, etc. and so on. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. Any closing comments? What are you doing in that hotel? Uh, literally nothing. Just playing games mm. and writing videos and trying to film a little bit. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, just trying to be productive while I'm isolated from my family, which I know will distract me once I'm there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Get all your work done now so that you don't have to worry about it later. That's very smart. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you out there for your love, kindness and support. Hope you enjoyed this early episode of Sacred Symbols. We'll be back on the normal published schedule, both on Patreon and free feeds moving forward. But we didn't want to make you wait for this important news. And that's basically it. I think I got to go work out and eat. It's 930 at night and I haven't done either of those things yet. So <laughs> yeah, I should do that too. Yeah. Time to get going. So uh, Chris, thank you for your time. Appreciate you as always. Of course. And thank you all out there for your love, kindness and support. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Until then, goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Jariah King, Nick DeMarco, Constantine Valencia, Avery Lewandowski, an unofficial controller podcast, Bjorn Campbell, Andrew Morgan, Gregory Slavinsky, Stephen Nieder, Ross Maranka, Zach Parsley, Jerome Ferreira, John, Jeremy Shook, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Ben, Azan, Isaac Wasteman, Michael Vecchio, Joey Finelli, SL the FMA, Ryan T. Mandel, Jorge Palomino, Paul Joyce, Enrique Perez, Don Lee, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, P, Homeworld Hub, Dante Harris, Betty Ann Moriarty, Gavin, 
Colin Jewell, Nelson LeBlanc, Daniel Johnson, Zach Bonham, Jay Getter, Vexius, Greg Lada, Jeff Mercado, Galja, Todd Paxton, Darren Gardner, Of Fortuna, Boots, Megadet, Kevin Komaki, Saul Balcazar, Raul Melendez, Robbie Hensley, Bloody Fang, Eric Harden, Matt Martin, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Spencer Brand, TB Lightning, Antti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Chris Galvin, Ryan Murdoch, Jesse Owen, Mason Cadillac, Scott Lovelace, Chris Bustin, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Michael S., Joshua Smallwood, Damon Weathers, Cody Bradbury, Carl Tolman, Richter86, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Donnie Nolan, Patrick Harper, Gerald Pennington, Greg Julefs, Blake Israel, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Connor Gashian, Lawrence F. Prokop, Organic Produce, Toothless Gibbon, James Kinslow III, Tyler Bellow, Mubarak, Alan Tremblay, McDog18, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubber, Marius Scarson Peterson, Ray Lasia, David Castanez, Throw7, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gamer Filmaholic, Colin Davenport, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lewin Ray Loper, Josh Bushing, Dylan Burns, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K., Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, William O'Carroll, Phil Crone, Mike Wayne, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Gio Corsi, Justin Wagaman, Chad Lewis, Shane Rayum, John Cordero, Mark Boggio, Keith A. Lewis, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Toby Shootman, Eric Bateman, Mad Mock Media, and Jonathan Rice. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.